presentation of the Hockey Shop, source for sports story, thehockeyshop.com. This is Ingle Radio, the podcast. I love that music. It uh, has become a part of my soul and uh, like Pavlovian, it uh, just gets me excited to talk about uh, goaltending. Along with the co-founders of Ingle Magazine, David Hutchison and Kevin Woodley, who still has not got a haircut since 2008. Uh, We are looking forward to our feature interview today with Jeff Glass and what a journey that he has been on uh, through the wide world of uh, goaltending. Uh, we also will have a conversation uh, concerning Roberto Luongo, the Stanley Cup semifinal matchups are Canada, Russia on a collision course in the 2021 Stanley Cup postseason. And there's a player poll out from the National Hockey League Players Association, and they asked for the best goaltender. And there's a bit of a changing of the guard as uh, we chat about uh, this and a whole lot more with Woody and Hutch. And uh, Hutch, how long would it take you to grow your hair as long as Woody's is right now? Uh, Longer than 2008 till now. So was it 2008 you said was his last haircut? Yeah. Yeah. So 13 years. Yeah. Well, there's not much here at all. So. There's just I've reached that age where there's just a few little uh, few little spots that are growing hair and a big satellite dish on the back. So this is this is 13. I'd love to look like Woody, though. I'm jealous. Let's this, face it. It's it's he's got this flow. is 13 months, not 13 years. I this is my tribute to Mark Bergevin. Uh, you might be outdoing Bergevin. You need some product, buddy. I did have to have... I wish people could see well, this. I'll have to show some pictures. Uh, I did have some product in today because I was doing a little Hockey Canada paneling, panel hosting and, and moderating, I guess would be the word, sort of directing traffic and asking questions. And uh, it was it was awesome. But, you know, there's... you know, When guys go to Hockey Canada, they got to be clean shaven, the coaches, the, you know, clean cut. So I had to invest in product to sort of try and pull this back and keep it in control for at least most of the day. The last one we did uh, was probably three hours before we got together to record this. And this is the difference three hours make. I'll show you the before and after picture. It was all kind of neat and, well, relatively. And now it's just full out Spicoli ready to go surfing. So what was the product your daughter lent you for this? Uh, it was kind of like a, I want to call it almost like a putty. Like a, I don't even know what they're called, but it's not quite like a gel, but it's kind of dry and you just, yeah, I'm learning new things. Do you smell like Hawaiian flowers now, I, Woody? I'm going to be honest with you, Hutch. I always smell like Hawaiian flowers. You I mostly believe sound like used goalie gloves, I think, Woody. I think it's called a paste. paste. See, oh, that, that, see, that's what it's called. TV guy yes. knows what I'm talking well, about. Yes. TV guy would know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. A little bit of teeth and hair. Uh, yeah. I know a bit about uh, these kinds of uh, those kinds of things. I, you haven't played uh, because of the pandemic in a long time. Fifteen months. Woody. Would your mask still fit? And, and that's a serious question. Uh, would your mask fit uh, given how much your hair is? Growing? I would probably. I'm, I'm almost sure I would have to loosen it up. And the only reason I can answer that definitively is um, since my last haircut, I have a number of hats that no longer fit. And the hats I do have that fit, if it's a snapback, I have gone two snaps bigger 
than I used to be. Because not only is it long. Who tracks that Well, stuff? because, I mean, that's not that I track it, but come on, I wear lots of hats. So I know where I normally have my buttons done up and I know where I've had to move them over the past 13 months. And, you know, let's be honest, it's not just long, boys. It's thick. So it's it's luxurious. At the, hey, as I approach 50, I'm proud of the fact that it's still thick. So hats barely fit. There's any and companies can, out there looking for somebody to endorse their hair product, their salon, uh, Woody's available. So, yeah, so that's what we need. Yeah. I need a hair product endorsement and a Lululemon men endorsement, and then we're good. Well, my question is uh, motivated uh, about the mask uh, from uh, Robin Leonard, who started this postseason run, uh, shaved his head, like went right down to the wood. And uh, when he came out for practice the first time after the haircut, he stopped a couple of times in between drills and had to tighten the straps up uh, as as he got the sweat on and the mask started sliding around. So um, uh, the, the the question comes from a from a very uh, good point well, of and reference. Then, you know, listen, I, I can understand that. And so I will make sure I adjust my mask before I get on the ice, then whenever that will be to accommodate for this, uh, this, this flow that Hutch is so envious of. I will say when it comes to mask fitting, we know how important that is, whether it's making jokes about at Woody's expense about his hair or safety, mask fitting matters. And that's a perfect segue, not just to set up this week's uh, Hockey Shop Source for Sports gear segment. We're going to be talking about the new Bauer 940 and 950 lines, as well as some really great savings on the 950X. But it's a great chance for me to talk about why you should shop at the Hockey Shop, whether it's in person uh, in Surrey and in the, uh, the suburbs of Vancouver or online at thehockeyshop.com. It's because of people like Cam Matwiv, who for all the jokes I throw his way, knows how to fit a mask, as does his entire staff. Whether that's in person, or if you call him and he can tell you what ways to measure, fit is so important to safety. And I credit all the companies, we'll talk about it in the segment with the Bauer line, but we've seen the other company as well, expand the fit options through their different models over the years. Um, one size fits all is not a policy that works when it comes to goalie masks. It's really important to get one that fits. And when I walk into the hockey shop, we always see the, we always see behind our interview, all the gloves. What we don't see is off to the other side of the shop. There's an entire wall of masks. And so when you go in there or when you call them and ask for information on fit, they've got every option and every size you can imagine. So you can try it on, see where the gaps are, see how it fits around your forehead, see how it fits at the temples, see if the back plate is sticking out. There's a lot more factors. I'm not an expert. Cam and his staff are, and they'll make sure they ask you all the questions or get all the answers you need to make sure your mask fits properly, whether you need a haircut or not, so that you can get on the ice and be safe. It'd be great if Cam offered a haircut and a mask fitting. At the uh, same you've time. You've seen Cam. So the hair. Maybe there's an the opportunity there. The would probably just involve a bowl, no? <laughs> well, I'm not saying Cam's going to do the hair cutting himself. He could do the mask fitting and somebody else can can do the, the, the hair it's cut. A, it's a good, it's not a bad idea for a little combo offer, but uh, then you'd, you'd never, yeah. I wouldn't go in because I'm not cutting it. 
you could buy a uh, just a plain white mask and the it, the hair would come out. You wouldn't even have to paint it. You wouldn't have to get the custom paint job because uh, your hair would just uh, come out the holes and then flop around. Hey, uh, I'm going to do a little bit of an audible here because we're going to ch- chat about uh, Roberto Longo, Carey Price, Marc-Andre Fleury, the Stanley Cup semifinals and this NHLPA poll. But while we're talking about the masks right now, let's slide right over uh, to the hockey shop and do the gear segment. The hockey shop source for sports, uh, sorry, thehockeyshop.com. And this week in the gear segment, we are talking about the Bauer mask of the 940 and the 950. So here's Woody with the aforementioned mask expert, Cam. Welcome back to the Hockey Shop Source for Sports down here in Goalie Utopia with Cam Matwiv. Between us, we have the new Bauer mask. But before we get to the new 950 and the new 940, You know how we roll here. Every time there's something new, it means there's something, I don't want to say old, but from the past, that goes on sale. And in the case of this year's new Bauer mask line, Cam has some serious discounts on the 950X, a model that is a couple years old, but still has some incredible features. And at under $500 is 200 off the regular price, and Cam's got a bunch of them, especially in smaller sizes. So rather than have me waste your time getting all excited, let's just hand it over to Cam to walk through some of the features. Yeah, you figured this out. I got it. I got it. 950X, uh, as Kevin called out, um, the new 950 is what's replaced it. However, that doesn't mean that this is a bad option by any means whatsoever. Um, some great features about the mask. Its shell itself is basically almost identical to the older 960 XPM, which used to be the Pro Helmet. The new just 960 is what's replaced it. Uh, quick difference, uh, the Enegra wrap, uh, carbon wrap, was what made that 960 the 960, for example. The 950 doesn't have that, but it still has that same Poiron XRD impact liner that was found in that uh, 960 helmet, offering it great comfort, Great level of protection overall. This helmet's fantastic for the price point. Well worth the look. However, as with all things in goalie, there is always something newer. So, well, hold on. Before we get to something newer, I just want to go over because there have been a lot of changes. Bowers changed sort of the naming of the lines. They've expanded on the. A lot of us, maybe, maybe I'm just old. The, the traditional 960 that was such a popular line for so many years and like the standard bearer, uh, both in junior and at pro. As it's evolved and as these lines have evolved, rather than get all into the complicated details, why don't you just give me an overview? This is normally a $700 mask. It's on now for under $500. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes we look at price points and figure out what, like, where that fits in terms of protection and, and what level we're playing. Where does this fit in terms of you know, what level, if I'm a beer leaguer, is this overkill or is this, you know, if I'm playing against some guys that played pro, do I need this level of protection? What age group is of kids? So just give me a feel for, um, obviously you want as much protection as you can, but give me a feel for where you think this one fits in. This strikes a balance between both. Like this can, this can go up as high up um, as junior hockey itself. And I have seen it and still been successful and protective as well. So it gives you uh, a bit more of a budget option, but still offering what is almost equivalent to pro-level protection. Um, so it helps to split that difference, and especially for cost-conscientious, but not losing that protection value, um, especially. 
Uh, great option. So I'm thinking for probably for if you if you got a, a kid who's just starting to rise up through the levels, an opportunity to get at a, a a better, more protective mask than what you would normally get for 500 bucks, as long as you have them in stock, especially if you have a ton of the last. smaller size. While they last. Yes. That's the key. So folks, get in here. Make sure you call thehockeyshop.com. Cam, where can they get you? if they want specifically to talk about the the 950X and, and that sale. 604-589-8299 or 1-800-567-7790. Okay, now let's go on to the new. This is the, this is what's on sale for the old. Let me have that back. I just like the whole things. <laughs> so sticking with 950, why don't we walk through the new 950 mask cam, let you, uh, let you walk us through the features on that baby while I admire the price point on this. So Bauer, two lines of helmets that have released this year. Um, 940, which we'll talk about here in a second and then the 950, which is here now. So this is following in line with the nine, new 960 that released last season. So what's changed? What's different? Um, foam to start out with. So one of the things that we did find out with the 950 um, is that the mask itself was very comfortable. However, the form was a little bit porous and it was also quite tight up against the ears. Bauer sent out to create a little bit more room inside the mask as well as airflow. So they've changed the pattern of the foam itself. So you can kind of see side by side, you can see the difference how it's got those little cutouts in the ear that this older generation 950 doesn't. So we found hearing improved, which I don't know that a lot of people thought of. You just being, being able to sort of hear what's going on around you and communicate with teammates. Um, these had a tendency to absorb water and get a little water log. You had to squeeze them out at the end of your games. Those don't as much. Um, and just that feel and fit. Correct, so layer over top of the foam now to stop some of that, those pores from absorbing that sweat and moisture as you're playing. So again, a great upgrade uh, in terms of the foam. Uh, pour on, still exists in the mask, uh, right up at the cheek area in particular, so especially those side shots, um, and also that impact straight on, helping to absorb that. The shell itself has changed a little bit, so they've updated it, it's called their power comp shell. So what that means, it's also, Power uh, comp or power core? Because I can read it. Power core comp. Power, power comp core, core comp. Okay. <laughs> I'll take your word for it. It's got power, folks. It's got power. And so what powers it? Um, it is uh, at a base, a fiberglass uh, shell, but with carbon fiber as well. So we're mixing basically the best of both worlds into this helmet. So the helmet itself does come out actually as a little bit lighter and equivalent size to uh, that 950. Additional sizing here too as well. Uh, following with what they did with the 960. So there is a small, medium, and large, as opposed to being small, medium, and then medium, large. So three different sizes to pick from in the 950. So a lot of the changes that we saw last year in the 960 carried over to the 950 line upgrade for this year. That's correct. I, I don't think we can emphasize enough, folks, the importance of sizing when it comes to masks. Um, and as usual, if you can, if you have the opportunity, come see Cam in person so we can make sure you get the right size mask. Uh, dating back to uh, the start of Ingle, when we used to meet with some of the original OG mask makers, guys like Eddie Schultz, uh, fit is just the most important thing. Uh, it doesn't matter how much protection you get. If you don't have a good fit, you're compromising um, safety. Perfect. And so Cam can get you, whether it's over the phone, taking measurements, he can get you best size, but if you can get here in person, he'll make sure your size up good. So good on Bauer. We've seen over the years, they've really expanded the sizing and fit options in their lines. I remember we talked about the original 960, which was the go-to helmet, mm -hmm. but it didn't fit all of us. Like I got a monstrous melon even without the flow and it's twice as big with all this thick, gorgeous hair of mine. <clears throat> 
And so there's no way I would fit into a 960 now. Hey, listen, as you approach 50, you cling to whatever you can and still having hair is a big thing for me. So moving along, moving along, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the 940. So completely new this year and redesigned. Um, some of you might remember Bauer did have the 940X. This is now a completely different helmet. So this year, uh, Bauer has dropped the enemy IX um, that was sitting at that 499 price point. This is part of its replacement, as well as the 940X replacement. This is now a full fiberglass shell, as opposed to a polycarbonate, which was the old 940X. Um, some of the features that do translate down, um, similar style of airflow foam, not featuring poron though, so there's where your differences start to kind of lie. Um, as you can see, different chin cup, different sweatband. Again, we have to make some of these differences as we're kind of tearing through the lineup. What the nice upgrades are, Full fiberglass mold available in junior sizing, as well as the small, medium, large in senior. So we still got those three additional sizes for the senior as well. Great overall price point helmet. Again, for that rec leaguer that's looking for a fiberglass helmet, those kids that are tearing up, um, kind of coming through peewee and stuff like that, it's giving them a better option over those polycarbonate options that are usually available at that lower price point. Okay, uh, speaking of price points, just go over it for us the 940 versus the new 950. So we're still at that similar price point back for the 950 was original. So we're about that $700 price point back down to splitting the difference at about that 499 price point itself. So again, you're having those different options as you're kind of cheering up through the lineup. Um, however, once again, still that older 950X that we have left over at that 499 price point as well. So another great option for you to consider depending on exactly what the budget is this year and what you're looking for. Another quick option, don't have an example of it, but Bauer has come out with a certified cat eye cage um, for the profile series, something that wasn't around before. Now an additional option, um, something that uh, their, uh, I believe their Finnish goalies were asking for. Um, not something we see too often here in North America, but it is an option if, it's, uh, if it tickles your fancy. Okay, that's a lot of information we just gave you. Uh, including different price points, uh, the sale mass that I'm holding the 950X, a lot of changes and sort of different features in different lines and different models and new names for Bauer. If you're confused by it all, I suggest there's one simple solution. Make sure you check out the hockeyshop.com. Get in touch with Cam, whether it's by email or over the phone. The numbers again. 604-589-8299. And because I say the 1-800 number really, really, really fast, 1-800-567-7790. Cam will get you set up with the model that's best for your game, the price point that's best for your game, and the fit that's going to keep you safe. Thanks to Bauer for expanding those fit lines. Uh, you know, like I said, something a lot of us um, are real, have been really excited about. Not, not like it's a new thing. It's been happening for the past couple of years, and it's really opened up their mass to a whole wider range of sort of head sizes and shapes. So good on them. Uh, Cam, that's it for today. We'll be back next week with some more new gear, uh, maybe some more sale price stuff. Something new, or maybe something old. Uh, that was awesome. Uh, nothing perks my ears up quite like a mask talk. And I love pads. I love the gloves uh, and everything about the position. But masks is just the the thing that uh, that gets me going and like you still have your favorite masks you still have your ones that you just want to go out and play in because the, the, there's memories uh, like 
Hutch, you come from an era of the the old form fitting ones uh, back in the in the seventies, and right on through it, you've seen every aspect of the development here and the evolution. Did you did you ever play in one of those, Darren? Because I did never. Yeah. Just road hockey. Yeah, just no, I hockey. did. When I started, it was just just late enough that you had to wear a mask, but there weren't guys wearing the old uh, helmet and cage yet. So I had the original Jacques Plant Fibersport uh, mask that. Santa Claus delivered, I think, for my uh, my year six uh, Christmas, and uh, it was the happiest day of my life to see that. And then, guys, I um, I'm so jealous, Darren, looking over your left shoulder at those replica masks, including Ken Dryden, the one that I just love so much. I don't know if I told you this, but I long before in goal, if we reach way back to grade six, I was sketching goalie masks and selling those to classmates because I was such a fan of the goalie mask. And uh, that was sort of my my start into goalie media, if, if we can say that. Although you you wouldn't want to see any of my sketches today. And you then, little entrepreneur, you yeah, I just loved it. And uh, and then when I, I I took a long break after university hockey, I took a long break. And uh, when I came back, I got my first ever sort of modern mask because I was still using the old helmet and cage when I was in university. And uh, I got my first modern mask. And again, that was almost the happiest day of my life because I, I finally got to get back into the proper thing. And I, I still remember I've still I'm still got the same mask out in out in the shop. So, um, yeah, it's the best part of part of gear, Darren. I agree with you and it always will be. You know, you know what the interesting part that just tweaked my uh, my mind here is one of the greatest goaltenders of all time, arguably the greatest goaltender, never wore one. Or, or we don't see any pictures of it, do we? In, in, in Tretiak, we always see him with the helmet and the, and, and the mask. Oh, and, right. the, and, the, and the, and the cage. Yeah, but no, no, you're like, right. You're right. The modern, the modern one, the, the cage combo or the old, uh, form fitting one. I, I've, I've never seen a picture of Tretiak with anything other than the Cooper helmet and the, uh, and the spider cage, the HM30. Yeah, the HM30. That's the same helmet and cage I wore as well. Uh, you're right. No, I haven't seen one. When you said that, I thought you were going to say, Dominic Hasek, who's a name that came mm. up in a conversation I had earlier today with the folks at Sense Arena. And one of the things that a lot of people don't realize is that that wasn't a helmet and cage that he was wearing, but that was a custom-made carbon fiber made by Warwick. I mean, I guess it's a helmet, but it isn't really. Uh, it's, Glenn Healy it's, wore the same thing, had the same thing at the end of his career. I did not know that. Yeah, uh, made to look like a, an SK-2000 yeah. kind of thing. And then there was the, the, the custom uh, helmet. As Woody just waves his head around, like he's got he's got an SK two thousand on his head right now. <laughs> it's probably safer. <laughs> Woody would be the safest the- guy of the of all of us, right? I mean, assuming the three of us had masks that fit, Woody's going to be the safest because of all that extra padding he's got. That's now. my reason. Uh, Roberto Luongo uh, had some great ones, and uh, if you see uh, Kevin Woodley's twitter a page kevin's in goal uh it's uh, uh, uh just a screen grab of his conversation with lou for this hockey canada presentation that uh, that woody moderated uh with the future hall of famer and that background with all those masks is something that you would just envy just to just to stand in that room never mind actually belonging to how many masks does does luongo have on display in his house uh, he said it was 18 in the backdrop behind him that he has from from his career. And I just love it. Like it's a wall built 
Um, like they're like cubby holes that they're in, but it's like like into the wall as opposed to just like separate cubby holes on there. And each one has a light on it and most spectacular background backdrop I've ever seen for a Zoom call or a Skype call. It was uh what is that rate my room account? I think if uh, I think if they took a look at that rate my Skype background, he would be a hundred percent like ten out of ten, winner, winner, chicken dinner. It was awesome. Is that actually a thing like rate my room? There, there, it is. It is because actually, I saw in some of the responses to um, that tweet earlier today, some people had tagged that account in asking them to sort of rate, rate, really? rate my backdrop or rate my Skype. I, there's a proper account there that I'm butchering right now, but it, it exists. <laughs> it exists. That's Let, let's like, not forget Billy Ranford. He did a fine job on that webinar we had too. Oh yeah, it's kind of like it's kind of like. It's kind of like Billy's. It's kind of along those, like just really, yes. really sweet. You know what it reminds me of that rate my room stuff, Darren? Were you around when the guy, if you were on TV, the NHL ties guy for for anybody who was yes, yes, yeah. I mean, I yes. I was obviously not on TV very often because they tell me I have a face for radio. But every once in a while, Dan Murphy would let me on an intermission panel here uh, in Vancouver on a Canucks broadcast, and I lived in fear of that guy for years, making sure that my knot was tight. And then everything was done up properly. Uh, Doug McLean was the only person I ever knew that, uh, and it was a very nice person that that, that ran the account uh, and did it for uh, a real passion uh, to to bond with his uh, his family as they went through some some challenges. But Doug McLean would actually like pay attention to the ratings and and would either be upset or brag about it. I've, I've never seen anything like it. But that's that's my buddy Doug, <laughs> very very competitive. Hey, what was your uh, conversation with Lou? What did you guys talk about? everything and i'm hoping we get a chance to bring that to either to the premium membership or maybe one day to the podcast uh really blessed i i was really feeling blessed to be part of the goalie union this morning uh and last night we did a coaches panel re- and another one i'm I'm hoping we get to bring to in goal in the near future uh hockey canada is running basically a coaching certification program this week um, getting coaches certified uh, at various levels. The idea being is you move up the rankings and get to the the third stage of the certification. You can then start to coach other coaches. Um, you know, just get more people out into the rinks at, at whether it's private, um, for business or minor hockey parents getting out onto the ice in a volunteer capacity. Just that concept of getting more education out there on the ice, working with goalies, solid foundations, you know, not just having the volunteer goalie coach um, because his, you know, wife's brother's sister's son played goalie 25 years ago. I know Uh, them. Yeah, and telling them to do the kind of things that that you grew up doing, Darren, and and Hutch, stand-up saves and kick saves and cutting down the angle, all those things. So um, really great program that they're running this week. And part of it was having a coaching panel. And then we had a goalie panel this afternoon. And Roberto Luongo delivered the keynote address to the group this morning and asked, uh, we just, he asked that that we do it as as a Q and a, as opposed to him just doing a speech for 45 minutes. And so I got to be the moderator for it. Pretty cool. Just relaying some of the questions that the coaches had submitted and kind of, you know, formatting it and, yeah, just basically playing Q&A with him. So uh, he touched on everything. Some great advice for young goalies, some great advice for young goalie coaches. Talked about his role with the Panthers and how the position is evolving. Uh, his role as a general manager with Hockey Canada. Told some great stories there. So yeah, like I said, don't, don't want to give too much away. Uh, it was for that audience for starters. But as part of the agreement, hopefully we'll be able to bring it to our audience here at Ingle 
whether through premium or maybe even here on the Ingle Radio podcast later this summer. And I would look forward to that because it was really cool. And the coaches panel, before I forget, so the coaches panel had um, Joe Johnson, who works pr- uh, privately as a coach uh, in the Maritimes, dated back to his work with J.S. Shiger, uh, but also works for the National Women's Team program, uh, has worked at Dalhousie. Uh, Dan Stewart, who we know here at Ingle and are big fans of, is in his first year at the St. Louis Blues as the AHL American Hockey League development goalie coach. Um, Dustin Schwartz of the Edmonton Oilers was on there with us. Uh, and we also had uh, Andre uh, Tournier, the head coach. And I thought, I mean, to me, that was interesting. I, at first, I'd be honest with you, I was like, well, head coach, like this is a goalie coaching thing. Like I, I wondered if that was going to work, but he was incredible and told some stories about being on Patrick Waugh's staff with Jaguar and with Varlamov and how, you know, on the PK, they would go, depending on who was playing, if a team had, say, three options, um, how they would eliminate certain options based on the goalie's preferences. You know, for Varley Athletic, different than Jaguar who wanted everything coming at him. So we're eliminating the cross ice for Jaguar. But on Varley, that's not as much a concern. And just walked us through that process. And it was really fascinating to sort of hear him um, talking you know, as he said, like we, we complain a lot as goalies about practice, for example, like all the parts of practice that are no good for us. And I think we've talked about this with so many guests over the past few years about how it's important not to just complain like, yeah, some of it sucks, but find a way to use it and, and compete and battle and, and find different ways to make it to your benefit. He, he went the other way. Like, yes, there are going to be not every part of practice is fun for anyone. But as a coach, if you're not finding ways to incorporate your goaltender in an effective, positive manner and making him better and making that part of it, then you're not doing your job because you need your goaltender to win. And so they need to be a part of every conversation. They need to be a considered in every drill, cons- not every drill, but in most drills. They need to be considered in PK and practice structure and all those things. So to hear him and then hear the other goalie coaches that have been involved at the different levels, I'll talk about that, uh, was really fascinating. It was it was a great conversation. and. He added to it in ways that, frankly, I didn't expect. Having two different approaches for your goalies seems really complicated. Well, I mean, on a, I wouldn't say it's two different approaches so much as like on the PK, we might just prioritize. And, he, and I can't remember the exact phrasing he used on it uh, later on when we came back to it. It was not two completely different philosophies, but elements within our our. Our, if our philosophy stays the same, we can have different emphasis points on one night to the next, just as you would change your emphasis points as you go over a pre-scout based on what the other power play, because it's a different opponent every night likes to do. You can also stress different things depending on the goal you know is going to start that night. So they kind of go hand in hand. You're not completely rebuilding your structure, but if we're going to tinker with our power play because we're playing Tampa instead of Vegas then we can tinker with our power play because it's Jaguar instead of Varlamov in the same way, if that makes sense. How many teams? It does, but I'm wondering how many teams do you think do that, uh, depending on who's going to be the starting goaltender for that team that night? I bet you're not. Or are many. most teams generally uh, the same across the board? I'd be really curious about that. 
Yeah, I'd love to know more about that. I bet you almost for sure not many teams do that, but I think it's it's music to my ears. I mean, as Woody says, you, you, you're going to target a, an opposing goaltender. You're going to target an opposing penalty kill in a particular way. If you can adapt your game offensively like that, there's, you know, why can't you adapt your game defensively to play to the strengths of the individual athlete? Uh, makes sense. It, it makes all I the just, sense in the world. I mean, I don't know if I defensemen heard, are smart enough. Well, I like it's to think talking about def- educated. We are talking about defensemen yeah, here. Yeah, but. Well, let's say, let's put it this way. Like, so, so we, <laughs> like you said, Darren, I hadn't heard of it before either, right? So part of me wonders, is this a unique approach? Like, believe me, as soon as I heard this, I'm like, we need every head coach at every minor hockey league level to listen to this. And maybe even in the NHL, like they need to listen to this very strong opinion of this coach who's had all this success, right? Was part of that world championship staff uh, that just came back with the gold medal as well. Um, And yet, uh, I also wonder, I mean, I didn't know that was going on, obviously, when Petrogal was the coach with Colorado. So I I just wonder how much of that we just don't hear about, right? Like, because a lot of those X's and O's, a lot of those details don't make their way to us. The other part that I found fascinating, and this was Dan Stewart really stressed this one, and everybody was in agreement, including Andre, um, the importance of incorporating puck handling, uh, not just, you know, sort of, and, and Andre was a goalie, and his son, one of his sons is a goalie as well, that puck handling... We write so many articles and so many tips, like right back to that tip we had from Martin Brodeur. Uh, we've heard it from other guys, like using your downtime in practice to work on your puck handling. It's a skill you have to develop, find ways to get better at it on your own time. And those are all still great points. But increasingly, the consensus last night was we need to make this a part of the practice and a part of the structure. We can't leave them on their own. This is a crucial skill. Why aren't we developing it from a very young age as part of our foundational process? Amen. Not just, yeah, like in minor hockey. And too many coaches are scared of the goalie getting stuck behind the net when he turns it over so they don't bother working on it. But everybody was in agreement. And Dan Stewart made some great points stressing why we really need to start making that part of being a goalie from a very young age so that by the time they're you know 12 or 13 and then up into their teens and higher levels and hopefully you know onto even higher levels they're not scared of it and the coaches for them to not be scared of it the coaches in minor hockey need to not be scared of it and so i thought that was a really great point and dan made some great ones and again that conversation first of all thanks to hockey canada for inviting me on to be a moderator uh katie greenway and Corey mcnab did a great job of putting the whole thing together um and you know just just to get to be a part of it uh is a real you know treat and honor to to we had the the goalie panel tonight was uh emirates mashmeyer um joel hofer Devin levi and sammy joe small and so just to get to bounce ideas and questions off them was fun so that was an honor but some really great points that came out of all three discussions and like i said hopefully as as part of the the deal with me uh hosting it we'll have an opportunity to share that with our audience at in goal and not right away but but in the near future hutch you want to piggyback off the puck handling yeah 15 minutes ago when woody started talking about puck handling um I, you know, it, it, you went for a haircut. Yeah. I went for a haircut and I'm looking real fine right now. I just want to let you guys know. No. Um, I mean, I, amen. I couldn't agree more because how many puck touches does a player get in a, in a practice? How many passes does a player make in a practice? 
Uh, how many times do they have to stick handle in a practice? And then you ask a goaltender to get involved in your in your breakout, and you wonder why they struggle a little bit because in their whole life they may have handled a puck fewer times than the players on the ice did in the last week. Uh, you have to get them involved because it's a vital part of the game today. I actually have a friend who played in a in an academy, um, you know sort of the precursor of the modern hockey academies back in the 80s. And it was run by a Russian gentleman who made him essentially play forward in his goalie gear for a year. What? Obviously, yes, like in practices, he basically had to be a forward for a year and learn how to handle the puck like a forward in his goalie gear and got a season's worth of puck touches. And uh, obviously that sounds a little bit bonkers and I'm not advocating that we do that, but but it does sort of speak to the difference in what players get to do versus what goalies get to do. If you don't incorporate them in their practices, when the heck are they going to learn how to do it? And then when it becomes a vital part of the game, how do you expect them to? It's it's no wonder there's guys even at the national hockey level that feel uncomfortable handling the puck today. And the way Fix these it, guys, guys from a young age, every and then and then you see a, a coach run a breakout drill in practice and you can see they feel bad if they let the goalie handle the puck too many times. Well, I need different varieties and I've got to do it 16 different ways. Get the goalie involved when he's five, when she's five. I'll get off my soapbox. So that's Just my, be that's my, be, be, be careful when you're getting down off that thing. Okay. Well, I'm so short. It's not very far. Listen, the passion you brought there and, and I pardon for hopping in there at one point because it, it really echoes what those guys were saying and good. You know, like we got we got Dustin Schwartz on there talking about Mike Smith and, and Andre Turnier says, like, like we all want that, right? Like all coaches want that. We, we all talk about it. We want that goalie that can be a difference maker for us moving the puck, keep our defensemen safe, get us out of our breakout, disrupt the other team's forecheck. We all want that. We do nothing to help create it at the minor hockey league level, to create the next generation of goaltenders who do that automatically. It's it's not a skill we work into their daily routines. They the coaching staff on this panel talked about those same breakout drills you did, Hutch, and how like it, you know, coming up, they the goalie doesn't touch it, it's just the players. Why not? Why doesn't it start with the goalie stop behind the net and a quick pass to the boards? That's where you want them when the game's played. And if you don't start it at a young age, how do you expect them to get there with confidence when they're older? And you work on zone exits or breakouts, whatever terminology you're using today, every practice. So, yeah, it just becomes part of it. I want to know, like, at what point do I get to take this soapbox journey, this session, Hutch's soapbox, the coaches, and bring it into my beer league room? Because I think I should get more puck touches. Well, nobody on my team agrees. Woody, you're in beer league. You just take them. With which you, um, uh, yeah, just rush the puck, uh, Woody. Uh, d- does your beer league team practice? No. Does okay. any, Darren? Ne- next time that you guys practice, you can work on your uh, on your puck, yeah. puck touches, okay? Uh, good, good. When, when you practice. Every game is a practice. Nothing matters until the last game of the season. You touch every puck you can get near. Um, yeah, Carey Price had uh, had a great win in game two of the series against Vegas and uh, got a little aggressive with it. And uh, Jonathan Marchessault knocked it down and, and he made a great save off it. But I loved the idea of doing it and trying to clear the puck yourself. And you, it, 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 is, it is a weapon. Eli Wilson, by the way, does run puck handling clinics. Like there's no shots taken 
the entire weekend uh, uh, on the goaltenders. You work on your puck handling all the time because I know that because I participated in one of them as a, as a fact finding mission, and it was one. It was exhausting. And number two, it was fascinating. And when I'm not talking about you're going out there to work on your shot and, and stuff, but it's working on decisions and 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 uh, outlets and uh, strategies when you're playing the puck. It was fascinating. And skating too, right? Like, and that was yes, the other yes. point that Dan made. That's you know, a big part of what Eli is, does too. Yeah. yeah, all we do is crease movement patterns. Well, it's a different type. You, you got to skate more like a player. It's a different type of skating, getting out and getting on top of that puck early and quickly and stopping it and moving it and all those different type of dynamics. It's a, you know what? Like, there's a, we, we're on the soapbox here a bit, but I, I feel like we've got a theme here that needs to be explored through some articles and some tips at, at ingolmag.com in the very near future because I, I feel like we've touched on something here that, that probably a lot. A lot of minor hockey coaches and minor hockey parents of goaltenders could help facilitate, you know, becoming a part of goaltending at lower levels. I want to know what kind of stick your buddy was using in the eighties at that that uh, year that he was playing forward in his goalie gear. I'll like, find was out it the for old you. Sherwood? I hope he. I hope he was on the uh, on the other side of the old Sherwood uh, era where they were the big hunks of lumber. Maybe a Louisville or a Christian. One of those. The Christians were <laughs> light. They out. broke easy, but at least they were they were, hey, Woody, they were light. Um, Woody, you're talking about you know the young minor hockey parent coaches who want to get involved, and this is one that's really easy. You can make a difference whether whether the goalies are five years old, eight years old, whatever. If you're a parent on the ice helping out and you feel uncomfortable trying to help with goaltending, if you don't think you have the background, of course, get involved in the certification process so you can. But you can make a difference with these young kids so easily. How often in a practice is there something happening at one end of the ice and there's a goaltender standing there doing nothing at the other end? Rim a puck in easily and get them to go out there and grab that and pass it back to you. Just pass a puck before practice as players are skating around just messing around with the puck. Do it with one of the goaltenders. Just make it part of the routine that you're handling pucks, whatever age you are. You don't need to be a certified goaltending coach to get out there and get a kid to be active. And if you happen to be an Ingle Premium member, just go look up the uh, Jason LaBarbera puck handling drill because there's a way to make it fun and more challenging for the goaltender. Same type of thing. Plays at the other end. You're rimming pucks in. Drop a glove in each corner and make a target. And he's got to hit the target as opposed to just going back there and throwing it up the wall. Make him pay attention, make him or her pay attention and aim and hit a spot by throwing a cone or a glove in the corner for them to aim for. Make a game out of it. Got to hit two out of three or got to hit a certain amount to move on to the next drill. Uh, Winner, if he does or she does or doesn't, you got to do laps. They got whatever. There's all kinds of different ways to encourage puck handling. We've got a few drills up at ingolmag.com on the premium side from NHL goalie coaches and sounds like we need to add a few more. Uh, does uh, Barb's or Eli teach the uh, desperation dive after Woody or I or Hutch give the puck away? Do, do, do they cover that angle at all after we touch the puck? The the Superman with the with the embarrassed look on your face. Yes, yes. You practice if you practice enough, you'll get an opportunity to practice that move as well. And good on you, Darren. One of the things I loved about Pricer's move the other night in the game is you know it may have gotten knocked down by some brilliant hand eye but didn't you see the smile on pricer's face afterwards yeah, he he's like it's it. okay i tried something it didn't work at least i made the save yeah it's all good and he was in perfect position to make the save it, he didn't try something where he was in the corner or anything like that he was he was he was right there and able to recover without the superman slide uh to to, to stop the puck although that would have been entertaining too 
I was just thinking mindset when I saw him do that. I just think it's, there's obviously, well, obviously everybody knows how good he is, so he can make those mistakes and nobody's going to have trouble with them, but create an atmosphere where it's okay to make those mistakes yeah. and to have a smile on your face when you do, and you're going to get somebody who's willing to keep, keep learning. I think it's awesome. I thought it was cool that uh, he was the one smiling uh, because it's usually the guy at the other end in this series uh, yes. against the Vegas Golden Knights of Marc-Andre Fleury, who's uh, got the ear-to-ear grin underneath the mask. Oh, what a what a marquee matchup we have in these uh, Stanley Cup semifinal series between the two Canadians, uh, Stanley Cup champion of Marc-Andre Fleury and the uh, gold medalist in, in Carey Price. Both have Olympic experience uh, with Marc-Andre in 2010 behind uh, Martin Brodeur and Roberto Luongo. And then the other side, the the Russians, uh, Vasilevsky against uh, Varlamov uh, and the way those two are going head to head. But uh, uh, just curious, uh, any thoughts uh, as we watch these four goaltenders go out? I, well, I mean, great. I never thought about the fact we're getting a Canada-Russia, Russia, oh, easy for me to say, a Canada-Russia final either way from a goaltending battle. But the other thing in terms of you talk about Olympics with Carey Price and Marc-Andre Fleury. Are we looking at two guys competing right now who are going to be teammates in 2022? I'd have to think so, frankly, right now. That's your one-two punch and goal if you're Canada. Um, you know, And there's probably a deeper discussion to be had about the fact that they're 33 and 36 years old. Um, but right. you know, they're probably teammates uh, overseas next year. And then, yeah, I mean, Canada-Russia final. I, I always like Canada-Russia battles, and that's what we'll have in the cup final no matter what. I didn't have Marc-Andre Fleury on the radar for 2022 and we're less than a year away and, uh, and he's battling for the, for the starters job. He's, he's, he's been that good uh, so far and the Vesna trophy nomination certainly uh, rings true to that, but so does the, uh, the Stanley cup run. Uh, he has nine wins this year. Carey Price has nine wins and that's a record, a, a personal record, Hutch. For Carey Price in a single Stanley Cup playoff here, nine wins and counting, depending on when you listen to this. Yeah, who'd have thought it would take this long in his career for it to get to nine wins? Uh, has been to the conference final before, but of course was was knocked out before he was able to get that ninth win. Uh, you know, there's another thing about these goaltenders, not just the Olympics, but of course the players poll that came out this week, right? And Andre Vasilevsky, Mark andre Fleury, Carey Price are your one, two, three out, out of the... Uh, the four folks we've got stuck around with uh, with Connor Hellebuck coming up there and forth uh, fairly close. So uh, as you say, uh, Marc-Andre Fleury may not have been on the radar for you for 2022 a little while ago, but he sure busted the door down and he's getting the recognition from the players as we have already given him in terms of what we think the Vesna should be looking like this year. Uh, I think it's a flurry for the Vesna with uh, Vasilevsky coming in second and Grubauer. That's my, and, and being able to watch at least two of the three. But in that player pool, a big discrepancy. Uh, Andre Vasilevsky, Woody, has grabbed hold of that mantle of best goaltender in the world right now. I feel like we need to rewind the tape because didn't we have this conversation a couple of years ago? Like, didn't we, like, and I know Kerry, like, this is a changing of the guard. Kerry won this, the, the NHLPA players poll for years. As the, I think it used to be the phrasing was different, like toughest goalie to beat. And and for the mm. past couple of years, it's been right. the best goalie. But either one, like it was always unanimously Carey Price. And so we've seen a changing of the guard, but not to give the in-goal crew a back pat. I'm pretty sure we were early to the party on calling Andre Vasilevsky the best goalie in the world. I, I remember that being one of our first pot, like somewhere in those early podcast editions on a drive to the rink, the three of us having that conversation. It may have been 
with Andre Vasilevsky coming into town, and that was top of head because he was here in Vancouver. Um, but you know, it's nice to see that the players have finally caught on. He's got the Vesna now. I'm with you, Darren. Uh, Fleury should get the Vesna this year. I still have a hunch the GMs will give it to Andre. And you know, according to the players, he's the best. So it's hard to argue either way. Um, what a treat that we get to watch all three of them in the playoffs right now. Uh, and Semyon Varlamov also having a heck of a playoff run. Like the goaltending. For all the talk about you don't need goaltending to win, it sure hasn't turned out that way in this this postseason. Hutch? I've been saying it on here for a long time. It's the goaltenders that carry you and uh, carry in quotes there. Uh, and that we're seeing it come through in the playoffs. And we talked about that too before, didn't we? When when it was came that Kerry was the only $10 million man left in the playoffs with uh, Vasilevsky up there as well. I think... Uh, Goaltending comes to the forefront. That's what wins, wins defense wins championships and goaltending wins championships. And, and it's great to see that the top guys in the game are, are still here. And I think it, uh, I think, I think the game is recognizing it as we're seeing an increase of a premium on goaltending development and an investment from organizations into the development of goaltenders. And uh, it's nice that everybody's recognizing the most important position in the game, boys, isn't it? Uh, going to get to our feature interview brought to you by Sensorina, Sensorina VR with Jeff Glass in just a bit. But uh, here's a question that I've never asked before. Can you win the Vesna without being the best goaltender in the world? Well, Woody should answer that because I've heard him say many times that Andre Vasilevsky is the best goaltender in the world and Marc-Andre Fleury should win the Vesna. And last year, I said that Andre Vasilevsky was still the best goaltender in the world, and he shouldn't have even been a Vezina Trophy finalist. The two don't have to go hand in hand. You can still right. be the best goalie in the world and not have had the best season. Sometimes, in the case of Vasilevsky, it's because he had a really tough start last year. And at the end of the year, even though he got really hot and had an exceptional second half and obviously won a Stanley Cup, his overall numbers, if you considered this season as a whole, didn't justify the Vesna Trophy finalist spot. They just didn't. Like they were in the 30s. You can't be the best three if your numbers are in the 30s. This year, he had an exceptional season, was great from start to finish, is fully deserving of being a finalist and finishing second to Marc Andre Fleury. And the consistency he's shown and the athlete and all these elements make him the best goalie in the world. But Fleury just had a bit of a better season, whether it's statistically when you measure some of the different analytics, it was just a little bit better. So it doesn't change my opinion that Vasilevsky's the best goalie in the world, but added up on a whole, Fleury's season was just better. Those two things can both be true. I, I believe that. And it, I think it depends uh, how you evaluate what it, what is the best in the world. It's whatever it I say. Is it whatever you say? But I think it's being highlighted right now, isn't it? It's being highlighted right now because there's Carey Price, third in the players' poll, uh, leading his team in the playoffs right now. If Montreal wins, he's the Conn Smythe favorite. Uh, they're not anywhere without Carey, but he didn't have much of a regular season again. So, you know, I, I, I still think he's one of the best goaltenders in the world because when it matters in playoff time, uh, he's there for his team. And the regular season doesn't matter nearly to the same extent, but then somebody else might evaluate it on a on a season wide basis who the best is, and it's pretty hard at the same time to to say that you think Mark Andre Fleury's had the best season yet he's not the best goalie in the world right now. Um, I think you could certainly make a case for him as well. So the gargantuan assignment then is to go back to I will pick nineteen seventy, okay. and 
at some point, we put a panel together and we have uh, some historical data and some people that uh, that were around and and covering the game firsthand then. And we do a uh, sort of a not well year by year, but it can be the same person over a number of years. The best goal. How many how many guys do you think have been the best goaltender in the world since 1970? That's a 50 year span. And I guarantee you, uh, it's less than 40 mm-hmm. because certain certain players, like how many years was Patrick Waugh, the best goaltender in the less world? Than 20. Uh, Dom, Dominic Hasek, how many, Hasek, how many years was he the best goaltender in the world? Uh, it, it, and some names, Vezina Trophy winners, will never appear on that list because they had good years. Uh, they had, uh, uh, was, was Grant Fear the best goaltender in the world. I don't know. Or, or is the best goaltender in the world a moment in time is, is the question. If you had a game that you had to win today, who would you want in net? I think that's probably the best goaltender in the world to you at the moment. Mm -hmm. Grant fear. Certainly. I think I know Wayne Gretzky would certainly say he was and Canada cups would. Yeah. So, and would, uh, would, would say that, but it's like, uh, Pete Peters won a Vesna, had a couple of great years, never the best goaltender in the world, uh, at, at that particular. Well, and, and then, yeah, but that, that's a tough one to, to look at. Cause remember for the longest time, the Vesna was, was effectively the Jennings. That's why we got a, we, it's, it, yeah. it, I think it would be cool to see, uh, over the last 50 years, how many, how many men were the best goaltender in the world. See, there's two parts to this that I'm going to opt mm-hmm. out on. The first is because it's way too deep, <laughs> philosophical, and much too difficult a conversation. The second one is you guys are talking about eras with which I have no recollection. You weren't alive. You farts. So I get to just automatically opt out and not have an opinion and not hurt myself or piss anybody off. Hey, the, the 90s and the 2000s would, would be like there's arguments there. Like, where do you go with Tom Barrasso? Where would he fit in? Uh, Marty Berdur when he, he when he rises, Mike Richter uh, for a period of time. There's there was, it was so competitive during that era, and some of those guys are going to be just flat out left out. But I think your point still holds. Like even if you went two or three deep in a given era or a given mm-hmm. few year period, you're still going to have a fairly small number of guys that yeah were the best in the world. Right. I don't think you need to settle who it was in an individual year. I'd like to just uh, more, more debate. That'll, more room that'll for be debate. part of the yeah. Vegas tour when we're down there. Yes, exactly. Uh, do you guys want to do it at the Cosmo or do you want to do it uh, at the, at the Circa? Uh, I'm up for I was thinking poolside Shea Millard myself, but well, uh, the Circa Stadium swims pretty good. I think we could get a lot right. accomplished uh, over <laughs> there when it came to uh, best goaltender in the era. Uh, let's get over to our feature interview and uh, Jeff Glass this week uh, brought to you by Sensorina, Sensorina VR. Hutch. Yeah, I want to thank our friends at Sensorina for sponsoring the feature interview as they always do had a conversation with them this morning in fact uh to go over the new features because one of the things about sensorina guys is that it's subscription software that means they're consistently working and updating the product so that in any one day you could pull the headset on and maybe there's a new training plan in there maybe there's a new uh drill things get sort of leaked into the system over time but every Every few months, there's an, a new major release that you can upgrade in your headset, and they've released a new one today. And uh, a couple of things that I was 
asking them to add as part of our review process. I, I'm not going to claim it's because of me, but it was something that we did notice. And one of them is being able to go in and favorite drills and then also to create your own lineup of drills. In the menu for Sense Arena, there's a, a long list of different drills in different categories, of course. But if you want to work um, on a particular routine as part of your pregame prep, as part of your pre-practice prep, you haven't been, been able to do that until today. You can now go in and create your own lineup so that it's Millard's warm-up and it'll take you through that succession of drills that you found best fits your individual preparation. Number of different things in there. We'll go over the next few weeks and we're going to release a little bit of a, a mini review on some of those things as well. Um, so I'm not going to give it all away today, guys, but there's a number of new features in today's release. But that's the one that really stood out for me the most was that opportunity to create your own lineup of drills as part of your prep. And remember, our experience has been if you use Sense Arena before you hit the ice, it's like a cheat code for goaltending. Helps your tracking like nothing else. We, I can speak to that. You're yeah, right. You've had the experience. It's a cheat code. Now. Yeah. And speaking of codes, if anybody wants to try out Sense Arena, whether you want to try out the goalie version or the new player version, and in fact, when you purchase one, because you get two profiles with, with each account, you can, e you can try both the player and the goalie version. And if you use the code IGM50, uh, you'll get a discount on your, on your Sense Arena membership. And uh, who doesn't like to get a discount with a nice little in-goal Sense Arena cheat code? I was just going to say, if you can set your own warm-up up unique to you, does that mean I could probably set it up to use my own warm-up stick? We, we, I, I, so I'm going to get in touch with Bob. I'm going to say, is there a way that we can have Woody's stick switches uh, between warm-up and, and game drills? That would be the best. Imagine standing there in the crease and watching on Sensorina, the, the goalie at the other end, uh, slide in, go to the bench, grab a, an exchange stick, and we call it the Woody. Hey, hey we're going to have some fun with this because we're actually going to release a few, few very small, short videos as part of their Sensorina's training academy on YouTube. And I think we're going to get Woody to do a, a warm up and game stick warm up for us. All right. He's beautiful. Yes. He's, he's, he's a little worried right now. There's, there's some, some uh, birds flying around his head going, is this really going to work out? Uh, hey, we talked about Carrie Price. We talked about Mark Andre Fleury. Uh, interesting. Uh, this week's guest kind of slides right almost in between them doesn't he? In Jeff Glass, uh, in that uh, whole era uh, around World Juniors and in Hockey Canada, and uh, and but a much different route. And what an adventure uh, set it up for us, Woody. I, there was so much, as I said at the introduction, uh, that we're going to hear in a minute. I didn't know where to start because um, from a prolific start in junior hockey and World Junior Championships, pretty high draft pick, starting as a pro to seven years overseas and then coming back late, a very unique path filled with a lot of great lessons and stories um, that you're going to hear that will help goalies in different ways at every level, uh, help goalie coaches, help goalie parents. Jeff spent last year um, with the San Diego Gulls, the uh, Anaheim Ducks American Hockey League affiliate as a goalie, but also starting to transition. He started to transition into a bit of a mentorship role. He was, he was doing some teaching while he was there as a goalie. And, you know, it sounds like that's a, a process, an evolution, and a step he's ready to continue on the coaching side in the near future. And as you'll hear today in this feature interview with all these great stories and anecdotes and lessons that he's learned along this very unique path, uh, he's going to be very good at it and very good at helping 
young goaltenders, wherever he ends up on a coaching capacity. I should say too, before we get to it, um, don't want to forget that he's got, he, he's also started Jeff Glass goaltending and he's got some um, weekend development series coming up June 26th and 27th. July 24th and 25th and August 21st and 22nd. Just keeping it simple for now. Three different weekends where you can go see him and trust me after, uh, yeah, in Calgary and trust me after listening to this interview, there are going to be a lot of young goalies that want to go get the opportunity to learn from and work with Jeff Glass. One of the best questions that you asked was what would a 35-year-old Jeff Glass tell 21-year-old Jeff Glass when he was coming out of junior and that uh, star-studded career in Team Canada and a world uh, championship appearance, uh, like what would he talk to him about? And uh, and there was so much there between the years and uh, physically and technically. It's a fascinating conversation, one that, uh, that you will not be able to uh, turn off, whether you're on the tractor, whether you're out in the golf course. Or whether you're in the car driving to and from the rink, uh, enjoy this one. It's Jeff Glass with Kevin Woodley, our feature interview brought to you by Sensorina, Sensorina VR. All right, welcome back to the Ingo Radio podcast with Jeff Glass, who I have been excited to have on for a while now, but there's so much I want to cover. I got to be honest, like the such a unique path, Jeff, that I wasn't sure where to start. I wasn't sure where I should where I should begin. I mean, CHL goalie of the year, World Junior Championship in 05, third round pick of the Sens in 04, three years in there organized, but then seven years in Russia. Then you come back and there's a story there. You make your NHL debut in 2017, like 13 years after you were drafted. And that path, and now with the Anaheim Ducks this year playing, but doing a little mentoring as well. Um, I'm guessing maybe there's a path you're moving towards in terms of transitioning out of playing to coaching. There are so many threads I want to pull on here. I was going to ask you where you should, where we should start, but how about we start with this year and and what that was like and and sort of how things were set up that transition between still playing, but also being a guy that you that other guys on your team could talk to. Yeah, it was it was awesome. It was it, what an opportunity I had this year and. Um, I don't, I don't say that lightly because uh, a couple factors, there was a pandemic we're all dealing with and um, I'm, I'm obviously not any younger. And, and I was starting to realize that um, each year was becoming just a little bit more and more valuable. And, and as you get to the end, you, you really do cherish those moments of being able to come to the rink and throw the gear on and hang with the boys. And you know what? I was given an unbelievable opportunity this year by the Ducks organization um, to go to San Diego and, and, and to work with some of their younger guys. And I still had a chance to play my game, which at the end of the day, we all love to do. We all love to go out and compete and do that. Uh, but more importantly, and I think bigger focus, I was able to work with some younger guys and, you know, they were able to lean on me and, and it wasn't, it wasn't as much technical. There was some days we got into the technical stuff, but it was a lot of life stuff. And it was a lot of, uh, come to the rink and, and, and the way you prepare and, you know what, I, I turned into that big papa bear all of a sudden where I was like proud of these kids, right? And it was, uh, it was so much fun. It was such a different year that way. And uh, I know everybody uh, had their troubles this year. I've heard of minor hockey league kids playing three and four games. Like we got in 44 regular season games. We played a round of the playoffs. We had seven or eight preseason games. Uh, like I'm so lucky. It was such a good year this year for hockey for me and maybe one of my better ones. And, and, and so I, I, I sheepishly say that. 
because uh, I know that other guys didn't have as good of years, but it was, it was a lot of fun this past year. How much, it's interesting to hear you talk about light, light. It's a life and, and it was more of a mentorship role this year with you, um, with those guys playing and, but also on the ice. Is that, is that as big as technical? Like I think, you know, myself as a writer, I think sometimes I focus a lot on technical because it's what I can see, right? There are certain things that you can watch live or in video and that's what we see, but it's as much as it, what goes on between the pipes is visual. It's the mental side of it that has such a big impact. And we've talked a lot uh, about that with other coaches recently. Is that where all these experiences you've had sort of come come in handy or where you, you relate to them at different levels? Is that where more of the teaching go, happens? I, I truly believe it does. I, I, I think that we can get uh, caught up as goalies as, um, you know, trendy, trendy topics or trendy moves that tend to happen. And um, don't get me wrong, I'm guilty of doing it myself. But I, I also believe that if we can be in the best headspace possible, uh, physically feeling the best, um, going into a game, you give yourself a way better opportunity to win the game than if you do uh, maybe going in technically sharp, but um, you're struggling with a few things, whether it's moving to a new country, whether it's getting your driver's license, whether it's whatever, who knows, trouble at home with family. I, I think that that kind of stuff um, factors into your game way more than let's say, you know, butterfly slides and stuff like that. So this year, um, I, I obviously didn't play in a ton of games, but it was more of a team vibe for me where I was like, all right, how can I not only put myself in the best position to help the team win, but what can I do? What value do I bring the team as far as helping these other guys win? And, and so, you know, there was a, numerous different things we did, but that was kind of my outlook on the season as opposed to in past years, it's always been, how do I get in the net? How do I stay in the net? Um, how do I then let in no goals when I'm in the net? This year was more, all right, when one goalie gets in, when the other goalie gets in, how's the other guy going to be feeling? How would I feel in his spot if I hadn't played in a couple of nights? Or how would I feel vice versa? I've played two in a row. I've won. I know I wouldn't want to play the next one, but like, this is where I've learned over my career that like, it's okay to sit if you've played two good games and won. And so let's, let's, let's see if we can maybe get that thought process through his head that, you know what, you're not going to play the next night, not because you did anything wrong, in fact, you're playing so well, I want you to play well for a month now straight rather than just be a flash in the pan. So um, all of these things, call them experiences, call it headspace, call it whatever. That was where I tried to bring value this year was to try to offer those type of insights and make sure that when it came game time, that's what mattered. And that's what I've learned over my career. We can all get good in practice and we can all do this. But, you know, they, whatever the expression, when they sing the song and the lights come on, it's time to play. Right. So that's, that's always, that was my focus this year. Okay. So this is the way to transition from now to then. What would 35 year old mentor Jeff Glass have to say to, if you had a chance to go back and visit with your younger self, let's say when you first started playing, or even when you started in the Western Hockey League, what would, if you watched yourself, what would be some of the things that jumped out that you'd want to change or fix? Would they be between the pipes? Because the game's changed a ton. Or would it be between the ears and headspace? Yeah, well, both. Lots of. I, I'm, uh, I'm, I realize now how grateful I am for the people who worked with me when I was a 21-year-old something or another. Because I don't think uh, the kids now are a lot more mature than I probably was back at that age. But it was uh, technically, it's funny because every year... Um, and not to toot my own horn, but every year they play a replay of that world junior game, the gold medal game against Russia. And I have somebody message me and say, Hey, 
uh, you're on TSN 15 or whatever channel they play it on. And hey, it's, it's pretty cool to see you play. And at the odd time, admittedly, I'll flip over to it and check out. It's the second or third period. And I watch myself move around in the net. And I'm thinking, who told me to hold my glove like that? Or why did I think that it was okay to lift my leg up when I was pushing? And all these things that were, at the time, the right thing to do, right? Um, and technically, I, I received unreal advice. Um, a goalie mentor that I still highly, highly regard today, John Stevenson, was my junior goalie coach. And uh, yeah, how he dealt with me is beyond me. But he did. But he taught me the way I was supposed to play at the time. However, a 35-year-old Jeff Glass would probably now tell a 21-year-old Jeff Glass, like, listen, kid, it's all how bad you want it, right? And I thought that I was at a pedigree where, um, you know, I'd won this and I'd won that. And if I show up to the rink every day, well, it's just going to happen, right? And I didn't realize, big, big picture, that, you know what, I was, I was right at the bottom of the pile, when I turned from junior to pro, I was the bottom of the pile. And it was my job to work my way from the bottom to the top. And those kids now, I think they see that picture a little clearer, partly because they're getting opportunities at younger ages. So, you know, when I was turned pro, I was told, you know, three, four years before you ever see a game in the NHL, whereas now, harder heart, you go down the list of guys that are playing right away. So, you know, admittedly, I think I took my foot off the gas for a few years and just kind of settled in and thought, well, I'll just let the process take care of the process. and. Um, I work hard in quotations and it should be, should be just fine. I'll get there when I get there. Whereas now everybody's got a focus and a drive and a plan, a game, a game plan or a roadmap. And I think that's so important for goalies. So I, I would have sat myself down and said, listen, here's where you're going and here's where you're at. And if you want to change that, it's up to you. And, and unless you want to go play in Russia for seven years, you should probably do something about it pretty quick. Okay, so th there is a passion that you have clearly for the position. When you talk about it, before we started recording, just talking you know, casually about it, there's a love for the position. I'm going to rewind it even further. Where'd that start? How'd you get into it? Yeah, good question. I don't know. And it's, um, it, it's something that comes honestly, that's for sure. It's just something that I love doing. It's something I've always done is, is goaltending and, and um, expand that bigger sports. I, I, I'm a I'm a highly competitive guy. My buddies always laugh until we put money on the line. I don't really show up, but um, it, it's, it's something that's just in my blood. And it's something I'm very proud of is the fact that um, I'm a highly competitive guy that hates to lose. And, and it happens to be goaltending that I'm, I'm gifted with and good at and, and enjoy doing, but I'm, I, I try applying it to other things like golf and it doesn't seem to work very well there, but I, it's, it's something that uh, comes very naturally to me is, is the highly competitive environment. And, it's it's that all all or nothing. You're a part of a team, but you, it is individual, and I really enjoy that part. Where what age were you when you got started, and, and sort of that that flame got lit? Yeah, I was. I, I I learned to skate when I was fairly young, like every other Canadian, four or five years old. And then my dad made me play all the positions, so that that was really thankful for that. Is the fact I got to um, try all the different positions, and and I think I was eight eight or nine when I started getting into more of a full rotation and. Um, Got some used equipment as I went up and the community equipment. And uh, it wasn't until I was older, 13 or 14, probably till I got my first set of new gear. And, um, you know, that's just kind of how it was in our family. And it, you know what? It, I don't want to say humble because that's not it at all, but it was, it taught me to really love the position. Like, I think I showed that passion probably at a younger age. And my, my parents both realized, well, um, he seems to really like this. We should probably support him. And, and, and they've done nothing but ever since. And, so yeah, it started out young and then yeah, once you're 13, 14, you guys know how that goes from there. It's kind of 
um, onward and upward and, um, and away we go. Uh, and into into the Western Hockey League with Kootenay, uh, you mentioned John Stevenson. Was he with them or was he in a transition period before then that you started working with him? Obviously, we've had him on the podcast, big fans of his work. So, Yeah, yeah, Johnny's the best. I had him in Kootenay. I, he was full-time goalie coach at the time, uh, which at the time still meant he would come in and out uh, periodically through the month. But um, he was the guy and, and it was the first ever full-time goalie coach that worked with me. Um, in a competitive environment like that. I had uh, obviously other goalie coaches that I worked with in the off seasons and stuff like that, but um, it was really cool working with Johnny. So obviously you mentioned already the world junior team, like the all time world junior team, arguably, right? What do you remember of that experience, that opportunity? You'd already been a CHL goaltender of the year. Like you, you'd already had a ton of success in, in the June in junior, but that spotlight, especially it was a lockout year, right? So like the hockey world was watching that world junior championship. Did you, did you feel that pressure? Did you feel that it, the intensity of that spotlight compared to past experiences in junior? And how'd you, how'd you manage that at such a young age? Yeah, I, I always tell a couple quick stories when, when people ask about the world juniors and how it all happened. And um, what, what people forget, you, you touched on it, it was the, it was the lockout, um, but I was right off the radar. So I, I'd never been a part of Hockey Canada going into that. I didn't do any of their under 16s, under 18s. Um, even that summer camp, I wasn't invited to. So uh, at the time, uh, that's how it trended. There were four guys invited to the summer camp. Three or four of them would all come back to the winter camp. They'd pick their goalie away. They went. So I wasn't even on the top four there. Um, Brent Sutter's the head coach. He's our arch rival in Red Deer. So we, we played Red Deer a bunch that, that first half of the season, and I was lights out against those guys. And I put myself on the radar. So I never felt the pressure of the guy that needed to perform or had to perform. Every day was just, a, I was just lucky to be there. I was happy to be there. So I was kind of flying by the seat of my pants, meaning I showed up and I was definitely the four or four goalie at training camp. By the end of training camp, you know, there's rumblings that I might be in the mix to make the team. You never know. By the end of training camp, I'm the starting goalie. Um, by the end of the tournament, we won it all. It, it all happened so fast, but it was all, it, it almost built on itself. And I, I never set the expectation that, oh, I needed to win a gold medal when I went into the season. I did I didn't even know that, you know, how to make Team Canada. So it was it was a definitely a unique process for me that that way. If I would have known all that I was going to be the starting goalie, it would have been a totally different approach. I don't know how I would have handled that, but I, I literally came in and next thing you know, I'm invited and now I'm in camp and now I'm on the team. And it really snowballed really quickly for me and uh, in a good way, obviously. I was going to say, it sounds like a lot of those times you're like somebody, we hear of somebody, the anticipation of a first start or anticipation maybe of your next start and things haven't been going well and all of a sudden the starter gets hurt and you're in the game and you didn't have time to think about all those expectations that come with it you play your best um sounds like in a much broader longer time frame similar type of environment absolutely absolutely and um you know that's i I don't want to say that's when you can separate people but it really is is when you when a guy can go in and he's put his work in and his preparations done and, and he finally gets his chance to perform and he does, I think that's when you can really take away from what a goalie is. And um, don't mistake that for saying that goalies that are given a stage form, it's expected. That's totally different. This is just if if you're given an opportunity and you've put the preparation in, it should be no surprise that, that you see success and results. So early years with Ottawa, um, after that kind of transition into pro. And like you said, um, they just, it's going to, that was, that's the mantra. Like, I mean, we, we've, it's the irony is I, 
I remember hearing it from Dale Talon. I covered the draft here, and when they drafted Spencer Knight, right? It's going to take four or five years. And I remember in the back of my head thinking, I'm not sure that's the case anymore. And here we are a couple of years later, and he's up. Um, it's changed. But at that time, that was the expectation. You started in the coast. You worked your way up. What were your experiences there? Looking back, is there anything you'd do differently, as you were saying, in terms of your own expectations? Um, is that, we've heard this before too, biggest adjustment is junior to the AHL or like to any pro from junior? What was, what was that like at the time? Yeah, you're spot on there with the adjustment. I, I, I don't think I'd ever struggled more than I did my first year pro um, for numerous reasons. But number one being the speed of the game, the speed of the shot, the accuracy, um, the style that I played. Uh, you had to you had to hit corners. I think that was the way we all played. We all blocked a lot at the time. So I went down to a nice big block, and in junior, you covered what you thought was a good part of the net, right? Well, these guys are pros, so it's going bar in, and you're looking awfully foolish pretty quickly. So um, turning pro, I think my expectation was, because everybody was telling me, hey, you're the world junior goalie, and the year before, Marc-Andre Fleury, you know, he stepped right in and played, and I mean, maybe you could do it. So I came to training camp my first year thinking like, I don't know, maybe Ottawa, like definitely Binghamton, but well, they sent me to the coast so fast it made my head spin, right? And and it wasn't because I was good, bad, or anything. That's exactly where I fit on the depth chart. And it was it was a piece of humble pie that I'll never forget. It was one of the best things for me. So you start out there and I had a great year in Charlotte and it was awesome. We were in a brand new building, blah, blah, blah. Awesome. Work away at it. Got a couple call-ups to Binghamton. Every time I went up, I struggled because it was fast and hard and da-da-da-da. Okay, fine. Next year, they get to, I get the full-time role in Binghamton where we're a last-place team, right? And I have a four-point-something goals against average. Another piece of humble pie. But at least now you're in the American League, and now you're starting to – you're making the steps, even though it doesn't feel like you're making them. You're getting there, right? And looking back, it's kind of makes me chuckle because – like at the time, I thought this is this is the worst, but you're getting closer to what you think is the ultimate goal. Another year in, in the American League, a little closer to what I would call success. And my, my last year there was actually very successful. But you, it, at that time now, Brian Elliott had entered the conversation. He, he'd almost leapfrogged me. We had a management change from uh, Muckler to Murray. And, and, and I was I was kind of forgotten, which is fine. It was totally fine. It was probably a blessing in disguise. And 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 I got moved on from it. And that's okay. Because like I said, it taught me a lot about myself and it sent me to Russia for seven years and, and on to the next chapter. Well, okay. So ECHL to start with, as you said, a good experience. And I think in the past, I don't know what the timeline is on when this changed, but I think recognition that that is a a really legitimate and good development league has occurred as opposed to a place where you just send the guy who's there on the depth chart. Like it's a place where guys who they see as NHL goalies can start and play. But what maybe wasn't always there was the support from the organization. Like I've seen guys go down and the goalie coach says, yeah, hey, I'll keep in touch. And then I've, I've talked to guys. It's like, and this is in recent years where it's like, yeah, I never heard from the guy once all year. And you're a first year pro. You're trying to figure out all these things and there's nobody to help you. Not casting stones. It was a different era. Was that your experience? And having gone through it, as you transition to hopefully and look at a coaching career, maybe in the near future, that's something you'd make sure didn't happen to any guys that, that were under your wing. Yeah, I, I was right on the cusp. But I, you, you, you painted a perfect picture there of exactly how it was and kind of is phasing out of. But I, I, they didn't forget about me. I was one of the first years. I remember you're right before me and the guys about my age were all getting sent to the coast. But 
prior to that, I'd never really heard of guys going to the coast. It was kind of that other league that you didn't want to play. And like, if you were a player, you went to the American league. If you weren't, you stayed in junior and that was that. Uh, but it was like, I went there. Then the next year, like Devin Dubnik was there. And then you know, Braden Holtby. And you can go down the list of guys that were all getting sent there. And it was about my era when that started. And, and they would send us there. And I'd be lying to you if I said that they checked in on us. You know, I, I, I think they made a phone call or two. But um, I, I think now that's totally changed. At least the way I view it is, is the East Coast is such a good league. And it's a development league now. And um, and it's only that because organizations view it that way. And if you treat the players you're sending there with respect and you check in on them, like you say, and you're, uh, the quality of the league has gone up and it, it's, it's a reputable hockey league now that develops a lot of really good players, all of a sudden now you can understand why you're there and what the point is. But yeah, there was a little bit when I got there, of, um, you know, uh, I, I remember there was no, they painted the wrong lines on the rank and it just, that, that Bush league feel of, well, this isn't what I signed up for, right? But um, you did it and it made you better. I was on TSN last year. Yeah, exactly. what's going that's, on here? That's exactly my thought process is, you know, where's the 18,000? You know what I mean? I, what do you mean 1,200? That doesn't make sense to me, right? So it was, um, like I said, humble pie, but good, good for the body, good for the mind. Now, the other thing there is uh, circumstances circumstances i mean sometimes beyond your control and we hear this a lot we hear talk about controlling the controllables is something we hear from mindset experts goalie coaches and goalies but there's an example where like you said when you got to bingo they weren't a great team you're gonna get in situations where your development might not intersect with the organization you're with they might not intersect with the team you're on and that's just the reality is that again part of the so a lesson you learned that you'll be looking to pass on in the future like it's really easy to say control the uncontrollables or you know what I mean? Not to worry about the other stuff, but sometimes it's really hard to do. And sometimes we can be, I don't think victims is the right word, but you can just end up in a spot that, that isn't ideal for you and it can cost you time on that path. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's, it's funny how that works because it's impossible to try to explain to somebody in the moment. Right. Like, how do you how do you replicate what you're trying to say or duplicate? Hey, I know you're going through a hard time. I know this sucks, but hang in there. Like, what else do you say? Right. Um, I, I wish I had some magic words for you that would make you feel better, but it sucks. And I get that. But with that being said, if, if you can build that trust prior to that and, and somebody understands where you're coming from and why you're saying why you're saying if it's experience or you've just gone through moments together with that person prior then, then maybe an ounce of you says, ah, maybe they're on some, and and maybe maybe I should hang in here for a few more minutes and just stick with it and stick with my pad slides and stick with the mental part of it and stick with the nutrition or the sleep or whatever it is you're doing that's getting you that you're getting a little bit better each day. Stick with it and and hey, there is something at the end of the line, but it's very easy to give up on somebody or or that that message. Ah tough tough but it'll get better just hang in there right like i think that's so frustrating to hear but everybody's heard it and it's just a matter of the guys that can kind of bounce out of that okay so you mentioned brian elliott as a playing partner and he's a, he's another guy that we're actually hoping to have on the podcast soon so you would have been there at the beginning to watch brian one of me to me one of the most undertold and remarkable stories was because he did climb the depth chart really quickly right and but he did it while completely having to change his style on the fly as a pro. It's like 
to me, it's remarkable in, in an era now where everyone sort of plays similarly and everybody has to make minor changes. Like he rebuilt his game. You had a front row seat for that. That was like, what did you think when you first saw him play when he first came up in terms of style? Yeah, I, I've never seen anything like it. Like, and so um, it's so funny. I've never really talked about that um, openly, I guess, or out, out with other people is, is that whole experience of watching a guy come in and play the game totally different than you've ever seen anyone ever play the game before. And I'm talking, I, I feel like at that point, like I'm old, but I'm not that old. And it was like, you had guys on TV that you, you'd seen everybody play the position, what you thought was the same. And then one guy plays it totally different. And, you know, we're competing for the same job. So by no means was I asking him for secrets or why he thought the way he thought. I just knew that he did it totally different than the way I did it. And, um, and again, to no fault of anybody, but a product of the time and the generation and the era, there was one goalie coach in the entire organization and his job was the NHL guys. And he wasn't going to come down and deal with us and deal with minor or major in Brian's case, you know, changes. It just, if you wanted to do it, you had to do it yourself or through your own resources. And he did work through it. And I'm telling you, like, um, he couldn't catch a puck and he would tell you that because of the way he played. He, he stopped the way he squared off to the middle of the ice and everything was crooked and da, da, da. like it would give up some of the worst goals I've ever seen, but he figured it out. Right. And, and he got to a point where not only could he be successful in the American league, but it gave him the chance to make that jump. And it was pretty cool to watch. To me, it's one of the most remarkable untold stories is 500 NHL games later, like where it started from and, and that it transitioned so quickly and on his own. Yeah. You mentioned things have changed. You have more support, more goalie coaches, um, organizations have multiple. Within that though, that, that, that old school figure it out yourself, is there value there? Maybe not to the extreme that they used to leave guys on their own, but at it, can, you, can it go the other way nowadays where you know, you've probably played with some guys where, man, if, if the goalie coach doesn't tell them when to take a bathroom break, he doesn't know what to do, right? Like, can, can that relationship go the other way? And how do you find that balance as you transition into the coaching side? I, I think there's some value there for sure. Uh, and the best way to answer that question would be to say, I think it's great when the goalies are educated and however they can get to that point where they feel like, like they're telling you. Um, now, what, I don't necessarily think you need to put them on an island for that to happen. But it should be a fluid conversation. It never should be the goalie coach telling the goalie. It should be, here's what the goalie coach tells the, the goalie. And then the goalie coach, or sorry, pardon me, the, the goalie should be saying, well, here's the way I see it. And there can be a conversation and there can be some back and forth. You obviously don't have that when you're put on an island. But you, as a goalie, you should be able to tell somebody why you're doing it. And this way, and here's, here's, here's why, here's a couple of examples of it. And you should have a little bit of that own self-worth and that own self-value. And you should be able to promote yourself or explain why you're doing it. And I think sometimes they get caught into just sitting back and slouching and saying, hey, it's my goalie coach's job to tell me, or the organization believes we should do it this way or that way. I don't subscribe to that. I, I think it should be very much of you present to me why you think you should do it. I'm going to tell you why I think you shouldn't. Uh, or vice versa, whatever, and and we're gonna we're gonna figure this out. And lots of times, um, as a goalie, I always found that you would learn so much from the coach, but you had to speak it yourself. 
because you were always being told and you never talked. And so when you actually talk and you hear what you're saying, it doesn't actually make as much sense coming out of your mouth as it does in the back of your head. And so, you, you know, I, I love to be aggressive there because I want to take away the angle. Okay, sure. What, what angle are you talking about, Jeff? Well, it looks like he could score from there. Well, see, Jeff, he's in a dead angle. Uh, yeah, you're right. I could probably play a little deeper. Sure. Here, check out these goalies that play deeper. And, and the light bulb goes off, right? But um, I know that's kind of getting off topic, but that, that's exactly how I see the game is that you need, you need to be able to have a little bit of a foundation and then have resources to bounce that off of. But you shouldn't always be told. You should be able to input some conversation into that, into that conversation as well. Being a player still this year, being a goalie still this year, it would almost blend perfectly with that. The mentoring side is it's more of a collaboration, just naturally. And it sounds like that's something you you're you see as being a natural way to do things. You know, even if down the road the role officially changes, you know, like that's so. There's a back and forth there. Totally, and and, and don't get me wrong. There's there's certain things that are black and white. And, I, and, I, and and that's just that. And if you're not doing it right, or if you develop bad habits, those need to be corrected. You you have to be square to shots. Um, you, you have to control your rebounds in certain areas. You have to, there's only one way to play certain situations. That is for sure. So I don't want to get that confused, but I, I do think that there there's different body types and there's different ways if the right mentality is applied to, to see each situation. Okay. So I want to, I want to get into a little bit, cause especially cause the era changed, right? You talked about blocking and there's an entire generation around that time of goaltenders. I would say in especially major junior uh, and hockey Canada, sort of world junior where, you know, with the right team, that style just, it worked right. But the game changed. So I want to ask about that, but at first I want to, like pull on this coaching thread because the decision to go to Russia, not so much worried about that, but what was the experience like? Cause now you're transitioning to like, did you have access to a goalie coach over there that spoke the language? And I know it was different and that's evolved as well in the KHL in terms of, you know, coaching influences from Sweden and Finland, but also still a lot of influence from Russia. What was, what was that like to be the guy that was, now all of a sudden you're the one in a different country and a different language and all those elements as a young guy, especially. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that was the unique part is I was younger than most that have gone over there. And um, my first couple of goalie coaches were 100% Russian goalie coaches that didn't speak English, but um, we spoke the same language, which was goaltending. Right. And, and I mean, through hand signals and this and that we figured it out. And um, it, I, I did realize when I came back that I missed, I was missing a few things in my development as far as technical things that probably would have been picked up on if the communication was a little better. However, the, the things I gained experience wise far surpassed the technical deficiencies in my game. And so the first couple of years, there was definitely no uh, communication English wise. And then I did run into a, a Finnish goalie coach and uh, actually a Belarusian goalie coach that I really liked. And, uh, you know, it was, it was really fun to hear the way they thought the game. Um, it, it was, it was totally different. It's the big ice. It's, it's a different strategy. It's all those things. So you take those concepts now that you understand what they're saying and you apply it to your game in North America, you're coming back. And I started to kind of feel like I was having a, a well-rounded game or at least some purpose to what I was doing. Um, heading over there, I obviously had some instruction in the off season and da da da, but I didn't have a lot of purpose. I was just doing kind of what I saw the guys doing and what 
I thought they were supposed to do, but not really sure why. Now, can you give us some examples? Obviously, the audience would understand because it's all goalies, but an example or two of some of those, you know, with purpose. And one of the things about the big ice in Russia, you know, I've heard from some goalies over the years, not all agree, but such a pass, 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 and, you know, wide open guy, and he dusted off and pass another time. The need to skate and beat plays and be patient, like, seems to be something you have to have over there that as the games evolved over here, I would think would translate. Yeah. Oh, really easy. I can give you a couple, couple really easy examples. One, one situation that I love to get myself into trouble with over there was I was always over challenging. And so what would happen is, is, um, they wouldn't just make one pass or across the Royal road or whatever we want to call it here. They'd make two or three passes. So because I was out of position three inches too far on the first pass, I had to travel six inches to get across the net too far. Now I'm coming back six more inches this way and, and I'm, I'm, I'm chasing the play. Right. And so I ended up being one of these kind of lungy divey goalies. If they ever, if, if they ever came down the wing and blew one at me, yeah, of course it didn't go in, but what would happen is, is we play the top end teams and that's where I'd always struggle because they'd come down and they'd work the puck around. And, and so I learned to play a little bit deeper. Now, any goalie coach that worked with me when I first got back would laugh and say, I was still over challenging, but be a little bit, deeper there. Uh, another one was change of direction. Change of direction was a real, real interesting one for me over there. So if, if a puck went one way and then the other way, I found there was a lot of dead ice in, in, in Europe. So I had to find a way to cover those angles a lot quicker. And I think that's why the European goalies are so good when down is because they get down and they, and they don't panic. They can move one direction, fully expecting, for example, a puck gets to the slot the guy will pass it out of the slot to a dead area. I'm expecting that shot. So I'm going to come challenging out to the top of my crease. I'm going to try to make that save. Okay. Puck goes down low. These goalies slide. They recover. They slide. They recover. And everything is fluid and expected. They're expecting another pass where I was always had that shot mentality. And I thought, okay, I'm, I'm going to challenge. This is the shooter. He's the guy that's going to shoot. And he would fake one. And man, would I, would I bite on it? Right. So it's that change of direction while down over there. I, I learned so much from that of just chilling out. You got plenty of depth. You got, you're square to the puck. If he passes it, here we go. If he passes it again, let's stick with it. Now, multiple stops over there. You talked about different influences, uh, different coaches that you met, Finnish, uh, Bella, Bella Russian. Um, one of the things we've seen, you know, over here, and it can happen to kids too, lots of voices, lots of different guys. Every time you change a team, somebody wants to change something. Um, like I, I understand some of the voices didn't speak a language that you understood, but did you, did you ever go through that? And what advice, like, you know, as you, again, look to transition, like how would that impact you? Because a lot of these young kids, they got private coaches. Nowadays, they got private on ice, they got private off ice, they got trainers, they got mind specialists. A lot of different messages, and sometimes they feel like they got to please you or their newest coach at a new stop. How do you manage that? Like, and as a coach, are you got to be careful to to make sure you're working with what they come with and their expectations. Yeah, and, and without sounding like the old guy here, <laughs> I love that question because the answer that I've come up with, or that I feel like best answers it, is you should be able to take one thing from every coach you've worked with, and and lots of times I've taken the one thing I take from a coach is one thing I will never do again. So he taught me a way, he taught me something that I 100% invested 
all of my attention into. And I realized that that just won't work for me. And I think that's just as valuable as, le- as learning something from a guy. Now, very respectfully, you, you, you have to approach the conversation and say, well, hey, listen, I, I'd prefer to get on my feet and travel on my feet there as opposed to I don't really enjoy sliding well down or whatever the conversation is. But by practicing it the way you practice, the way I was told to practice, I realized that that doesn't work for my game. And, and that advanced my career quicker than by saying, nope, I only work with goalie coach A and he has me do it this way. I said, no, here, goalie coach B, C, and D, let's all see what you have to, I'm wide open. Let's, let's hear your philosophies and why you believe it. And, and like I said, sometimes I did take one positive or negative thing and I applied it to my game. And then that's how you create your fingerprint. And that's how you are who you are. And um, Near the end of my career, I, I asked the goalie coach in, in Rockford, Peter Aubrey, I said, who do I play like? Like describe, what, compare me to somebody so I know who my comparables are. He's like, you're Jeff Glass. And that resonated with me because I was like, I thought I'm like, yeah, but he's going to tell me you're a little bit of, you know, Roberto Luongo mixed in. Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm putting myself on way too high of a pedestal. And he was saying, no, you're, you're Jeff Glass and you've developed your own style. And that's because you've, you've done this, 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 and this. Okay. So before we transition back to, to Rockford and to North America and coming back and NHL debuts, what's the, like, what, there are probably so seven years, probably so many memories. Are there any that jump out like that as sort of your favorite memory from all that time overseas and playing overseas um, I, you know, and where does the Spangler cup, I think that's one that I remember in 2015. And I, I'm curious what role that played in transitioning and that decision to come back. Uh, what, you know, what trying to lump in seven years into one question, but like, where, what are the, some of the moments that stand out? Yeah. I, I, I really, really enjoyed the hockey and I, I, the coming to the rink every day was a ton of fun and, and it's so unique playing in K in the KHL when I did, cause you know, like even, uh, it was harder to call home back then. You had, you know, Skype was just brand new and it was, you're really over there doing your thing. So you got tight with the four or five imports on your team. You came to the rink every day and the hockey was unreal. And, um, you know, we won some games, we lost some games. I was never on one of the top teams. We were always middle to lower end teams, which is fine. Um, and, and you'd go over and you'd have a ton of fun and, and you nailed it. I, I got the opportunity my last year over there to play in the Spangler cup, um, and it was always because KHL played over Christmas. That was, they didn't break for Christmas. So it just wasn't a possibility. And um, for whatever reason, my team did break that year. And I joined on with a bunch of guys that had either come over from the NHL, um, you know, coaching staff members that were in North America that suggested it might be a good idea if I wanted to go back. And all these bugs were starting to get put in my ear that, you know what, it's not too late. Um, I was almost 30. I was 29 at the time. And I said, if I'm ever going to do this, this is it. This is going to be my chance. And um, so then you have a good Spangler Cup. You win, you win there. Uh, and then that's when I kind of put a bow on it. And I said, you know what? Um, I won't regret. I won't regret coming back to North America. I will regret staying over here. And that was my ultimate decision is not a giving a full, good, honest try at the NHL one more time. Now, had you... Had you up to that point, had you thought that you were just going to keep playing over there? Like had, had that idea where you were always coming back at some point? It's, it's the, it's the wildest thing. And it's hard to describe. I signed a two year contract, a one plus one. Actually, I should even rewind. I, I signed a tryout to go over when I first went over. So there was no, it was just a quick place to play. Um, Ray Emery was the only goalie that had played over there. 
prior with any success or anybody that I could even know of. And he was over and he came right back to the NHL. And I thought, you know what? I could see myself doing something just like that. One year over, come right back. I didn't think I'd step into the NHL, but um, reset the parameters and I could find a new American League team to play on. So I go over on a one plus one, half, not halfway, a couple months into my first year, I got offered an extension. And so now, you know, that's, it was going to be the second year plus a third year. Okay, perfect. Yeah, that's more money, uh, better opportunity than anything I think I could find anywhere. And hey, what's two or three years over here? What's that going to be like? Not a big deal. From there, every summer, I was offered a little better opportunity in a little better city. And, and that league is very much set up that way where, uh, you know, the, the best opportunities come on the best teams with the most money, with the whole, that, that's that whole picture over there. And every year I kept upgrading my situation just a little bit. And it was hard to say no to because I could compare it to something back here where I thought I might fit in, but it was really hard. So when I reached year seven of one year contracts, extending myself down the road, I finally said, all right, I'm totally comfortable starting on the bottom of the pile. If I came back to North America, I realized I had no clout whatsoever. Nobody knew my name. I was so lucky the Toronto Maple police offered me a PTO to come in and start right at the bottom. And, and, expect nothing and just go to work and, and we'll provide you a place to play. They had plenty of goalies. There was no lack of that. It was just come here use our facilities and we'll see where this goes. And, and that's how it all, that's where I started. Okay. So there's, there's the hockey, there's a whole bunch of different stories that um, in terms of coming back, we'd mentioned, I know you mentioned uh, working with John Stevenson. So you've had some exposure, sort of the mental training side um, obviously Pete Fry, we've heard some really good stories from, you know, in terms of the picture in your mind. I want to ask about that, but I got to touch on first because you mentioned Ray Emery. Um, I remember pictures of that year in Russia and just be like, I'm like, oh my God, are there no limits on chest protector size? So like, what was the shock of coming back to the NHL? And we had rules in place for gear by that point. Like how big was some of the gear in the KHL in that era? I'm so glad you brought that up because now I can totally throw guys under the bus. And I was wondering at the time, I said, how do I politely go about asking who's in charge of the equipment over here? Because I, I was getting just equipment sent over, you know, like or, or sent over. I was bringing it myself. So I just, uh, I, I was in Vaughn for the most part while I was over there. And I was, uh, I was in PQ's gear for a while and it, all sorts, but it was just made to NHL specs. And I had to have been the smallest goalie over there. And I got over there and I realized that guys are, um, putting yoga blocks in their pants and they're, you know, no. they're, they're tying their shoulder pads up with, um, there was like this foam that made it flare up. And uh, to say that these guys' chest pads were bigger than the cross goalies' chest pads is, is a complete understatement. It was a mockery of, of goalie equipment. And, and Razor was right on board. I don't know who made that Brian's gear for him, but like it got a little wet and a little saggy. And it was, it had to be like 15 inches wide by the time it done right it was awesome so what was the transition like coming back because by the time you get back i think k's got most of the rules in place the pads are smaller i don't think we had chest protectors sized at that point as a matter of fact i think i remember walking into a locker room with the chicago blackhawks and somebody had a carry price bright blue model ccm premier chest protector that i marveled at because you were the bell of the ball for having that one right because everybody wanted the blue one that was carry only I was so, I'm so glad you brought that up because I'm pretty sure that was the last time we saw each other in person. And um, yeah, I, I was, I was transitioning back, but I'm coming from like um, 
you know, goalies were cheating over there with like thigh boards and stuff that was like stone. Like I couldn't even believe like this wasn't a little bit like trying to hide yoga blocks in your pants. This was like thigh boards and they were getting away with it. And so I, I continued to play within the rules or what I thought was the rules. And that ended up helping me coming back. So my gear was never super, super oversized. And when I came back, it was a small adjustment. It was an adjustment, but it wasn't as big of an adjustment as probably some of those guys would have. Now, what about the style of play? Like what, like as you, what the transition back? I mean, we, we hear it so much from, you know, young European goaltenders coming to the NHL for the first time. Uh, Russian goaltenders in particular, I've talked to, you know, goalie coaches like Mitch Korn, like what's the adjustment for Ilya Sorokin going to be like? The plays are on top of you quicker. There's more traffic. The board's in the corner so far away and some of the rinks over there, you can have a cup of coffee while they're over there. Nowadays, that puck's on top of you quick. Did you find an adjustment coming back to the style of play after so many years over there or because you were spending summers training here, were the rinks more natural? A little bit of both, but I, I honestly feel like... Um the rink sizes were uh, something that could be corrected fairly quickly. It was more the style of play. And it was more when they're coming down the wings, everybody has a shot mentality in North America. There's no such thing as a bad shot. And, and I would tell our shooters the same thing right now. You know what I mean? If you're down on the outside hash mark and you can drill one on the goalie and, and get a POP situation or something from it, why wouldn't you do that? Right. Whereas, in, like you said, in Europe, you know, you could almost get two on O's, three on O's out of the corner because there were so many guys that were so far from your net. So I, I really feel like the young goalies now are such good skaters and, and they do so, uh, European, young European goalies, they skate so well that it's a matter of reining them in. And I feel like I was a pretty good skater. I don't think I'm as good as some of these skaters were now, but I had to kind of rein itself in, not just from a depth perspective, but just from uh, an overall aggressive mentality, meaning uh, there's there's no threat from this guy in the corner. Let him get to the threat, and then and then let the puck come to you. And uh, I worked with Piero Greco with the with the Marlies. He was the first real coach I had when I came back, and I I worked with Piero back when I was 15 and 16. So we had a relationship. But Piero made forced me. Um, to touch my crossbar and stay on my crossbar when the puck was coming over the red line. So I always had the mentality that when the puck came over the red line, I had to be ready, set, meaning top of my crease, wherever that was. And he says, I want you touching the crossbar with the mid, the small of your back till that puck came across the red line. Now, but whatever depth you feel you need from there, whatever, how you feel you want to get square or in position, you can use that from that position. And it allowed me, it forced me to stay inside what would be North American standards. And that, that was really helpful. So does it, does it create a little more of an inside out mentality? Like not to simplify, but it sounds like before yes. you would be out and you would drift, does this sort of allow you to let it come to you and then attack the angle from a, from a sort of goal line out versus out and flow back? Absolutely. And this was like, we're kind of seeing here one little thing from each goalie coach, right? So that was exactly what he taught me was an inside out mentality. And, um, further in my career, we can even get into two seasons ago in Austria. I worked with a great goalie coach, Jurgen Panker, and he, he worked under Francois Allaire. And, and Panks' mentality to what I was telling him about, I'm staying in, working out. He says, well, why are we going anywhere at all? Why don't you just start where you want to be? Why are we going out to come back to face a shot? If, if you know where you're going to face the shot, with your toes on the top of the boot, why don't we just stay there and wait? 
And, and so you start to have all these philosophies now kind of mold into what you are as a goalie. And, and the era has changed and I was playing in different um, styles of hockey and all that as we go, but it really did hit home to me that there's a few different ways. And I kind of applied all of those concepts to one thing. Okay. I want to, I do got to ask about Pete and the, the, the idea of having a clear picture in your mind, because can, can you just walk us through that story? Cause it sounds like it kind of, you know, played out to that picture. No. Like if you're going to do a commercial or you write a movie, this is it right here. And I, I, I admittedly was skeptical because, um, for a number of reasons, but if, when I first decided I was going to come back, I was really close with Eli Wilson and Eli really influential on my career and everything I was trying to do. And he suggested two things to me that summer. He says, go to Edmonton. I'm, I'm, I'm living in Calgary at the time. He says, drive to Edmonton um, and do the Perry Perns three on three and then connect with Pete Fry. And those two things will do great things for your career. And, and yeah, Perry Perrins was great. I got to get on the ice with a bunch of NHL guys in a small, small area of games and start to kind of get that feel back again. Uh, but most importantly, I connected with Pete and Pete said, all right, what's your vision? What's this? And like made me draw things and write out this big roadmap. And I'm like, Pete, I don't know. I'm just, I'm, I, I might get a PTO with the Maple Leafs and he's trying to picture me winning game seven with the Stanley cup there. And, it seems so far-fetched. So fast forward the story, I've, I've now bought in 100% to what he's selling. And I'm in Rockford year two, and, and he decided, I'm starting to get frustrated. I've played a couple pretty good months, and uh, I can't really get a sniff with Chicago, and I want to go to Chicago. He says, well, let's map out how you're going to get there in 30 days. And I said, well, I don't really know if it works that way, Pete. Like, I, and, and kind of naively... I like he he suggested it knowing full well it doesn't work that way, but said, no, no, this is how it's gonna work. And because I was drinking the Kool-Aid, I said, let's do this. So we mapped out um everything, and I think he's gone on to show it to um different people. I th- I think Elliot Friedman's even got his eyes on it once or twice, but it was my roadmap of what I was gonna do in the next 28 days to get to the NHL. Uh and I got there in 27, as it turned out, right? And so um is there any truth to it? I truly believe there is. And, and I, I've told everybody the only reason I got to the NHL is because I readdressed my mindset. Uh, physically, I think I was always there. I had a few technical uh, words to my game, but it was readjusting the way I approached the game, setting a clear goal, a clear path, how I'm going to get there, who I'm going to talk to, what I'm going to do when I come to the rink every day, and then going and doing it. And it turned out. It sounds like, I mean, all these, whether it's experiences or the different influences on whether it's mindset or in the crease, inside out, all these, like what a lot of amazing experiences to bring into that mentorship role this year. Like, like I, I'm guessing these young kids, as they lean on you for advice uh, in the Anaheim system this year, and you're playing that, like you said, Papa Bear role, uh, helping them along, giving them tips. Like there probably wasn't a single thing that they could have thrown at you that you didn't have some insight into or experience with. Yeah. And you try not to ever be the, the Johnny know-it-all because nobody likes that guy. But it was, it was fun to have these conversations. And especially um, this year, uh, the two goalies in, that were with me in San Diego and um, even kept in touch with the goalie in the East Coast, all three of them were European-based goalies. So I feel like I could really connect with those goalies. And it's just from my experiences overseas that. Um, you know, none of them had played in Russia. I hadn't played in Sweden or Czech or Slovakia, but we all had something in common is the fact that, you know, you're traveling over the ocean to go play hockey. You're away from your family. You're several time zones from home. Um, 
And then, oh, by the way, we're expecting you to play at the top of your game. So it was always, uh, it was super fun to listen to them and hear what they had to say. And then, yeah, chime in when, when I felt like it was right. Okay, so I, I got to ask about the NHL debut. Other, so you get up in 27 days. And I do remember reading uh, excellent job by Elliot in one of his 31 thoughts column. Other than having to deal with me asking about the blue chest protector in the room as you came through Vancouver, you made your debut a couple nights later. Like, what do you, what do you remember of that? What's it like to, I mean, NHL debuts are special because so few people make it to that level. But to have the path you did, to do it that far down the road from when you started, and, and I'm certainly, you know, not when you envisioned it, say, back in the draft or World Junior Championships. Is it different? Was it more special? Was it what? What do you? What will you take away from that period? Yeah, it, I think personally, for me, um, because it took me so long to get there, I was so much more appreciative. I think than let's just say the average player. So um, you know, I was having those pinch me moments. I I spent my whole seven years overseas watching the NHL. Like that was what we did for fun. Was you'd wake up in the morning or before you went to bed if the games were coming on early, you watch the NHL because I mean wasn't really big into soccer and I love sports. So that's what I did. So I watched all these teams. I watched the Chicago Blackhawks. I watched all, and those are the guys I cheered for. And now I'm in the same dressing room as them. And now, you know, coach Q is telling me I'm going to play the game. And now Jonathan Taze and uh, and you go down the list of guys. So it, it was almost like pinch me moments that I'm actually here after spending all these years kind of fanning over these guys. And, I made sure I very much told myself I deserve to be there and I've earned the right to be there. And um, you're here to do a job that will keep you here. But at the same time, I, uh, the best advice I got was from Scott Darling the year prior when, when I was black acing with him in the Stanley cup finals was, or in the Stanley cup playoffs was Scott says, Glasser, whenever you play your first game next year, just understand the second that first puck hits the ice and the opening faceoff, you're now considered an NHLer and they can't ever take that away from you. So whatever happens from there doesn't really matter. You're an NHLer. And I'm 30, 31, what, 32 years old at the time. And I couldn't wait for that opening face-off in Edmonton. And when the puck dropped, I actually, that was the first thing I thought of was, I was like, wow, this is, I'm an NHLer. Like, might as well go play now, right? As opposed to, again, setting that expectation. I had to make all these saves and do all this, this stuff. Okay, transition next couple of years, a couple of years in, in the AHL, and then you, you'd go back to Europe for a year. I got to ask about that decision before you end up coming back to the Gulls this year. What went through the mindset there? Just weren't ready to be done, looking for different opportunities, different life experiences? Uh, yes to all those. Um, I, I think uh, I still had the drive. I still had the fire. Uh, I was coming off what I thought was a pretty good year in San Diego uh, at least it finished well, but um, numbers wise, I, I'm getting older, um, just less valuable to teams. And, and my agent suggested maybe just waiting a little bit longer into the summer, not rushing it this year. Uh, and nothing really seemed to come. And you know what? I was like, I didn't, I wasn't ready to say no to hockey. That's for sure. That was not an option. I just wasn't ready to go to the wrong situation. So I, 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 I admittedly declined a couple offers earlier in the summer that didn't feel like the right fit. Uh, Austria came along and they were looking to make a run in the playoffs. And it was a couple Canadian guys that I recognized and uh, totally different from what I've always done in the past. I always chased uh, a different style of opportunity. Uh, this was going to be super high on quality of life and you're going to 
sleep in your own bed every night. And now I have a daughter and all this stuff factors into, you know what, let's, let's do Austria for a year. And um, I was so happy I did. It was such a great place to play. And uh, we were trending in the right direction. We were three, nothing in the first round and then COVID. Right. But um, yeah, it was, it was a great year. I forgot. I, I never even, it never clicked, right? It's become, time has become this vacuum yes. that that was the season that, so your year ended that way. And so you play a bit this year. You're, you're like you said, you're in a, that mentorship role with Anaheim a little bit. You're also doing some coaching. All this time I'm taking up here, let's talk about the coaching you're doing privately. Are you you doing some some on-ice stuff work with Jeff Glass goaltending? Yeah, no, I appreciate you bringing that up. I, uh, I started my own little thing here uh, in the fall and uh, it was something that I've always wanted to do. And, um, I've worked with so many good coaches in the area and, um, and outs and are everywhere. And I I've always really looked up to these guys that run their own schools and their own camps and, um, you know, offered my help any way I can. And they've always been super supportive of me. And I thought it would, if one day, if I could put myself in that position where not only could I help other coaches, but help kids and, and then, um, kind of tell some of these stories like I'm telling you right now I, I I think it was a perfect year for me to kind of transition into that so I'm offering uh, a, a couple schools here in Calgary a three weekend camps and and then some private lessons on the side and um, it keeps me young keeps me having fun with some of these kids and they're showing me a few things too so we've uh, I, I've thoroughly enjoyed it to this point and uh, the first camps coming up here uh, I'm not sure when this podcast released, but it'll be coming up in June and we'll have one in July and one later into August. So, uh, yeah, really looking forward to them. Weekend camps. If there are any spots available, where they can, where can they find more information? Yeah. Right at jeffglassgoaltending.com. Uh, there's three weekend camps and, uh, we'd love to see, see some high end goalies out there that are looking to get better. If after all this, I think I can safely say there's probably not like you have so many influences, you probably can't put it into a couple of sentences, the Jeff Glass philosophy. But if I asked you to, what would, what would you, how would you pitch that to me? I'd probably tell you that it's going to, it's going to take a while, but if, if I had a, if I had a minute or two, it would be uh, building a foundation on what you believe in and then sticking to what you believe in and um, willing to grow off your foundation and willing to develop from your foundation. But but sticking to your core beliefs and, and, and letting that guide you through your hockey career and through life. And that, that sounds so philosophical, but it, it really is true is um, the best people I've worked with in hockey usually have the most success. And, and, and when I say best people, I truly mean good, good people. They're not, um, they're not out to try to take from you. They're out to give. And if you can surround yourself with those kind of people, and make yourself one of those kind of people, I think you're going to have a lot of success. Oh, so well said. Now, listen, we're an hour in here, and I forgot to get into the whole block conversation. Yes. But that was such a perfect ending that I think I'm going to leave it there because that also allows me to come back and talk to you maybe next year as the, as the career progresses. And if coaching is something you end up going into on a full-time basis, we can have that conversation again. How does that sound? Love that idea. That sounds great. I really appreciate you having me on. Uh, our pleasure, Jeff. Thank you so much for joining us. Best of luck with the camps and best of luck moving moving forward, uh, where at whatever role that takes. No, I appreciate it. I'm a huge fan and uh, it's, it's awesome stuff you guys are doing. So I, again, I appreciate you having me on. Something that we have to just deal with coming off the uh the interview how big 
do your pants have to be that you're fitting yoga blocks in them? Or what, like, where are the yoga blocks going? I'm just somebody answer me. You probably this. got pant so, covers and you just stuff them down between the pant covers and your pants. There's my theory. Listen, Google and images. And it covers the five hole? It uh, covers I, everything. I assumed on the outside, because you remember the old pants used to have that great big thick strip of foam on the outside? Yeah. That's what I'm, I just envisioned that's what we were seeing but we can't even figure out where like we have different opinions on where the yoga blocks are going to go because it's such a crazy yeah, idea no, it's netting of, that goes between your legs wasn't that the tony esposito thing <laughs> yeah, tony esposito yeah. uh and john garrett used to wear his jersey so long that right. it covers five hole yeah uh that but but yoga blocks like who, who comes up with yoga blocks i love it i feel like this is a major failing on us that we neglected to tease this right out of the gate um <laughs> although i almost forgot about it in the interview we i was so I was so engaged in all the sort of teaching and philosophy and life philosophy and learning lessons that he was sharing, but I'd had it in my notes, ask about gear in the KHL, because I remember I remember the pictures of Ray Emery the one year he went over there and the pictures from the KHL, and it was like, like oh my God, like who ate Ray? He was like twice as big. The upper body was gargantuan. You heard these stories about... You know, and it's interesting that we're talking about, you know, maybe amalgamating some of the IIHF rules with NHL rules. And I'm wondering if equipment will be a part of that because, man, some of the stuff over there, you know, the not just the heights of the pads, but especially the upper body, it's just totally night and day from what's legal over here. So I thought it was hilarious that answer. Like, yeah, I'm yoga blocks, nuts. Yoga blocks. Just can't say it enough. It's yeah. part, part of your equipment. I, and, I think. And, and, I think we'll have an Amazon link if anybody wants to get some yoga blocks. They're going to be the in goal uh, official yoga block for goalie pants. Oh, that is awesome. Hey, by the way, uh, thanks to uh, Duncan Crer. I uh, hope I'm saying that uh, properly uh, over at uh, Crown Isle Golf Course in, in Comax up in your neck of the woods, uh, Hutch, uh, listening to us as he gets his work done uh, around the links. Yeah, isn't that awesome? First, we're hearing from Saskatchewan farmer fields and now we're hearing from golf courses on Vancouver Island. Guys, love it when people reach out and just tell us where they're listening to the podcast. It's it's fun to hear that you lo- you listen to it. But where are you? Who are you listening with? Uh, how's it part of your day? Honestly, really, really makes my day when we get these messages. So send them in, send them in on Twitter, uh, podcast at ingolmag.com, anywhere. Let us know. Where are you? We'll say your name. If you, if you like it, if you rate it, we'll, we'll even say your name a couple of times just to get people liking the podcast. Cause it just expands our, our reach. And he just, what did he say? He was dressing a green, wasn't it? That's what he, the picture was. Uh, and I gotta mm-hmm. say, like, it's been a few years since I've been up at crown Isle, but, uh, whatever you're doing up there, Duncan, keep doing it. Cause that course is beautiful. So no matter how you're puttering around or putting around, uh, getting on the, the tractor or, or the golf course, uh, make sure that you're you're part of us and uh, and let let us know how the crops are coming in. Let us know what, how the golf course is uh, faring. Uh, little uh, we'll help you. You help us. It uh, it all works, and uh, we'll we'll keep everybody up to date on on Woody's style, the hair. Well, Woody Woody left a beautiful picture on Twitter today. So folks, go look at Kevin's in goal at. Uh, Twitter and you can see the mop that we've been talking about and uh, head over to Apple podcast too, or whatever podcast provider you're listening on and would mean the world if you left a rating and if you left a comment Um, again, yeah, just so great to hear where you're listening. And now that so many areas are opening up and getting back to the rink, who are you listening with too? Mm -hmm. 
It's awesome. Uh, in the uh, one standing up semifinal, uh, they're rushing through with uh, the New York Islanders and the Tampa Bay Lightning. And then we've got uh, a flurry and, uh, and a great price in the other one. Uh, with uh, Team Canada on uh, the showdown there between Kerry and Mark Andre, and the glass is definitely half full with our feature interview this week. Enough puns as we get on out of here. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, let us know uh, your comments uh, and uh, your opinions about goaltending. Yoga blocks excluded. Uh, for David Hutchison and Kevin Woodley, I'm Darren Millard. Uh, good luck and uh, keep up the goaltending. 